Well, ladies and gents, welcome to episode 59 of the Finger Guns podcast. My name is Roscoe. How are you doing? I'm here with every single person from the Finger Guns team. Mr. Sean Davies. Bonjour. How's it going, sir? I'm very well, thank you very much. Good, good. Would you like to know what I'm full of this week? Go for it. <laughs> Domino's pizza. Domino's, yay! Sean's oh, meal of the week. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a takeaway this the entire lockdown, so... Oh, wow. These adverts that are like, all these restaurants that are slowly reopening. Like, oh, man, I could really I could kill like a Zinger Tower burger or something right now. But oh, well, Let me tell you, on, on Friday night, we had a, a, had a K- KFC on the first night that the one instead. Oh. No, no, they've forgotten the recipe, man. The KFC what? was so peppery, it was impossible to eat. It was like they went, uh, 12 herbs and spices, but most of it's pepper. And it was disgusting. Oh, and nice. and we, we ordered it on Uber Eats, and they forgot the gravy. Oh. God damn it! <laughs> so disappointed. Okay. Okay, Sorry. That sort of makes anyway. me feel a bit better. That makes me feel better. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> uh, Mr. Greg Hicks. Konnichiwa. How's it going? Yeah, it's about, I thought we were doing like a Sesame Street episode where we all come in with different languages. I like it. We're all over the world tonight. So, <laughs> so the, other, the other four people in this chat, I've got to think of something else now. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. It's my first day off in a while. I've got three days off, so I am in a good mood. Oh, Greg's in a good mood, ladies and gentlemen. It sounds like a rarity. It's, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a constant sour person. I'm just, I'm just in a good mood. Who knows what's going to happen tonight? Mr. Paul Collett. Mushy, mushy. <laughs> that's, that's the same language as me, but when you answer the phone. Yeah, I know, but it sounds a lot better, doesn't it? <laughs> Failed already. <laughs> well, no, I, not really, because we are talking via microphone type thing. So, you know, essentially I'm answering a call on Skype, so I can actually say it. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Where's logic already? <laughs> How you doing, Paul? I'm good, man. How you going? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks for asking. You're the first person that's bloody asked. Oh, no, someone's got mine. Yeah, all right. Fine, thanks. Excellent. Good to know. Excellent. Mr. Toby Anderson. Uh, guten Tag. <laughs> How are you, sir? Good, thanks. Um, really looking forward to a bank holiday weekend. Already nice. a bit way into it, but you know, that extra Monday off is very nice. Looking forward to the bank holiday weekend. We record this on a Sunday night. Yeah, but I'm halfway through. Halfway through? But... Okay, fair. <laughs> Good, I'm glad you're doing well. And not only that, have we got everyone on the cast tonight. We do have a guest as well, formerly of TT Games, now of Spare Yourself, Mr. Steve Thornton, ladies and gentlemen. Privet, hello, good to be here. How are you, sir? Aloha, is that one too? Hey, I'm good. Yeah, this is actually uh, my first time on a podcast, so uh, mildly nervous, not not massively, but uh, yeah, feeling good. Yeah, it's exciting. If we can uh, wing it, you'll be fine. It's only my yeah, second time. Good. There's a nice casual atmosphere here in the call. I feel comfortable already. So how's how's life? Because you're based in uh, Saint Petersburg in Russia. How Very is good. how's lockdown life for you out there? So uh, it's it's uh, slightly different to the UK. Like uh, there's the still same kind of feeling, you know, around it. I would say probably the same ratio of people wearing masks and not masks. Uh, recently, St Petersburg made it um, illegal to be outside uh, in the public space without a mask and gloves. Uh, that law hasn't been enough to get people to do it, <laughs> but I would say probably one out of three people are, are, are wearing the protections when you see them. Over here, Putin announced that um, a bunch of non-essential companies would basically have a holiday. You'd basically put everyone a holiday, which uh, surprised a lot of business owners who weren't prepared for everyone to go on holiday for, uh, like, paid for two weeks. Uh, and I think his his notion, uh, not that I'm, like, you know, dialed in or anything, but the notion that I got was basically that because everybody in Russia is kind of aware of the worldwide news 
and uh, if they gave, and they cl- if they closed all of the cinemas and restaurants and bars and stuff, and give them all a holiday, and they were aware of the danger, then they might just self isolate themselves, you know. And uh, so he kind of took a gamble on uh, people's self preservation, I suppose. Didn't work. People out in the streets enjoying the parks and the sun and stuff. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've basically all the restaurants here shifted to delivery, so that was pretty quick. We've got like a delivery style thing here called Yandex, so you got everyone walking around those massive, you know, comically sized backpacks, Death Stranding style, carrying around the food. So it's pretty easy to get imported like pizzas and any kind of takeaway you want. I'm actually living uh, kind of on the edge of the city. I'm not in the center, so uh, we don't really see like you know the, the worst of the crowd and stuff here. It's pretty isolated anyway, so that's pretty lucky for me. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously, you know, it's been tense. It's a tense time, you know, like uh, I am a bit of a hypochondriac and uh, I'm over 30. So there's not really any day in the last five years where I was asymptomatic completely. You know, every day I wake up and it's like, oh, got a bit of a sore, sore head today or, you know, a bit of a bad stomach or a sore, or some joint pains, you know, maybe I've got the uh, kids, the Rona, you know, so a uh, bit of paranoia. But uh, it's been a lot, lot, lot of weeks now. And uh, we're very ca- cautious, so like we're even wiping down some of the stuff that we get delivered here. So uh, yeah, taking it day at a time, you know. And we're all working from home now. The Sparasoft as well. I got that all set up, so uh, acclimatize into that. I'd say it's pretty much the same all over the world. That's kind of one of the cool, the, one of the cool things about this nationwide, international crisis is that uh, everyone's kind of in the same boat. You know, like everyone can kind of relate, no matter what country you're in. Everyone's kind of trapped at home. Everyone's experiencing the same thing so it's kind of you know it's universal that way and you say that uh Sparisoft are working from home now are you are you seeing any difference in sort of the way that you guys work in terms of deadlines and things like that are you still be able to work to the time schedule that you were planning yeah i mean i can't go too much detail obviously but uh generally i think like uh because everything in the game industry is is done by individual computers anyway like once all of the vpns and stuff are set up i think productivity is kind of stabilized uh, for people who don't have like work machines, VPN access, having in any company, not just Sparisoft, that are having to like, you know, RDP, like remote desktop into their work computers in the office, obviously that creates some connection problems and delays. But for the most part, anybody who can have their machine shipped home to them, I think can kind of work pretty much like they used to. Like uh, as far I, I've heard that most game studios working from home haven't seen too much of a productivity loss. Like they're pretty pretty balanced out. I don't think it's really affected people too badly. Deadlines that I'm on anyway have all kind of remained most of the same. So, uh, yeah, no, I think uh, of all the industries, the game industry was kind of more prepared than most to um, shift into this into this state, you know. And uh, you know, another upside, of course, is like uh, if, if this proves that working from home can work, then perhaps it'll be more normalized and it'll be helpful for a lot of people that are looking for that for a long time to have a work from home set up with their company. This is kind of a proof of concept of that. Yeah. I mean, you've, I'm sort of having a look at your, at the IMDB of uh, your history <laughs> that you've worked on. And it's, it's a, it's a cracking list of video games. I mean, you spent a lot of time at uh, TT Games working on the, the Lego series, Rainbow Six Seed, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I mean, there's, there's quite a pedigree there. And I'm not, I'm not going to obviously ask you what you're working on because I know you can't talk about it. So I'm not going to even attempt to ask you. But is there, is there something that stands out for you in terms of a, a game that you really kind of look back at it and go, wow, I was a part of that game. That's pretty crazy. Well, I mean, firstly, uh, I didn't know I had, an, I had an IMDb page. That's a surprise to me. <laughs> well, so, uh, it's, it's so much. I sort of like, I've been kind of somewhat stalking you for the last couple of days just to get some info. <laughs> and, uh, 
Yeah, did you just research? Exactly. No, it's good at viewing. Yeah, well, I try. I try. Looking for those deep cuts. Yeah. Um, well, I guess for me, like, uh, so in terms of the Lego games, first of all, like, there's some for me that might not be big games for everybody, but for me, you're kind of like career milestones. Like, the first game I directed, for example, uh, Lego Ninjago Shadow of Ronin, it was a handheld only game that came out in the 3DS and the Vita. And uh, I, for a lot, I've been in the wings as a assistant game director or a lead level designer for quite a few years by then. I kind of felt like, you know, I, I'd actually had a lot of people come on to the studio, onto the teams who were more senior than me. I hadn't been directing before and I was kind of showing them the ropes of the projects, if you will. So like for three projects running, they were like, hey, Steve, can you show this new guy the ropes? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then after three projects, I was like, well, I've got the ropes. Why don't I just uh, steer this thing, you know, myself? So. <laughs> I was uh, pretty pleased when I got my first opportunity to do that. And uh, Shadow of Ronin for me it was an opportunity for me to kind of like test run a bunch of stuff that I wanted to do for a long time uh, at TT that you know I was kind of pushing for from the from the, the back row and that I could really do it. So for example, like in uh, Shadow of Ronin, we played with the movement speeds and the jump distances. Everyone's a little bit juiced up. The game's faster, it's lighter. Um, I kind of uh, I did something on a game before that. Legends of Chima, Laval's Journey, uh, another one of the lesser-known LEGO properties, where uh, basically a lot of the adaptations of the LEGO console games on handheld, where um, so, so the LEGO console games have quite large environments, almost arena-style levels, based on the movie locations, where they basically spend a lot of time in one location, and it's usually quite deep, and the camera's quite pulled far out. If you play the console games again, you'll probably notice that, that they're quite large locations. And on handheld, there was obviously a performance issue, to uh, consider. So you basically had to be really cautious about how deep the levels were. I was something I really wanted to do. I, I experimented with it on Chima was to kind of like flatten them out, take like a rolling pin, flatten out the level content. So it was more like a platformer. The levels were kind of longer, but flatter, so less deep. So you could have kind of more content uh, in each screen, but you would pass through it faster. So I streamlined it that way. There's a lot more movement involved and uh, put more emphasis on stuff like, uh, like traps and such. And uh, yeah, it was a good opportunity for me to kind of test a bunch of stuff that I, I wanted for a long time. I had some of my favorite people on that project too. I was lucky enough to have some of my close friends at the studio lined up to work on that just by chance at the same time. You don't always get to pick, you know, your team. But in that case, it was kind of a, a dream team for me. And the, the art style for mm. the Jack was kind of a gift also for the handheld, the bright and colorful. And we tried this almost tune shaded thing with the uh, the VFX and everything. So, but uh, anyway, yeah, that was a real, real milestone. And also, uh, I got. I talked about this at a, a game conference recently. Uh, I named that game technically because uh, we really? got. Yeah, we got the IP in, and I basically what I, I tend to do is I name things. I find like branding things early, like features, mechanics, weapons, and stuff. Even if they're placeholder names that the writers are going to replace at some point, I put a name on the game design document, and uh, I, I believe I'm remembering this correctly. Maybe the writer will step in and say, "No, you didn't." But I'm pretty sure that um, Shadow of Ronin was the working title that I put on the first game design document for the project when I first came onto it. And it was actually more, it was a kind of a, a gag, a joke just for me. It was a reference to a, a really old game from, from the PS1, which is um, Ninja Shadow of Darkness, which I played when I was a kid. And uh, that was a game that me and my brother played together. I don't know if it was any good now. Like If I went back, I'd probably be shocked at how good it's not, but... I, uh, I played that with my brother, and uh, together we did our own little paper level designs and stuff. It was an isometric game, sort of. So we did these isometric plans, like graph paper and stuff, and that was probably the first game that got me kind of designing levels. So anyway, I put a little gag to that Shadow of Ronin 
the uh, the villain was already chosen, so I put the him in the title instead. And basically, that working title just kind of stuck, and it just went through. And I was sure at some point there'd be an opinionated publisher or an IP holder, or someone would come in and basically say, not that. But uh, instead, there was like an email later in the project, which was like a poll, what should we call this thing? And that, that, that working title stayed in the mix. And nobody had a better suggestion, so it just went out, went on the box, went on the shelf. So that was crazy. Probably won't happen ever again. Total accident. And Tim to the end of the game. So uh, yeah, that one's that one's pretty precious to me. Obviously, as, as the first game I directed. Some little touch of stuff in there as well. I put, but yeah, that's a good one for me. Um, making the jump from Lego to new stuff. Rainbow Six Siege. So at Sparrowsoft, we basically we help out other studios with their projects. So a studio gets a project that's kind of exceeding its internal resources, or they don't want to take up any more internal resources on that particular project. They might take part of that game and give it to an external studio to work on. So that's kind of well known as like outsourcing. But what, what Sparrowsoft do, I'm not going to shill them too much here. What Sparrowsoft do is they co-develop. They basically take a part of the game and they kind of take ownership of that. Sometimes even creative ownership, which is why you know I'm a designer and I work there. And uh, so on, on Rainbow, when I can't say what I worked on exactly, but making the jump from like Lego games, which are obviously like there's a lot of like details that change from IP to IP with Lego games. So obviously, it's a big swap to work on like a triple a fps game and uh working with ubisoft montreal was fantastic because i've been at tt for so long like moving out just to Sparisoft, but getting to work with their partners so closely as well and seeing how they worked uh that was like really exciting i even went out to visit them there you know and uh much i love tt and i know Lego games are very popular but they lack a certain amount of um let's say prestige and uh kind of going to ubisoft montreal's office to visit with them and talk about ideas and stuff i was kind of wow this is it i made it you know i'm in montreal and uh yeah. that's like a really like a proper big brand name in, in the world of games so that was really exciting as well i think probably i have answered your question to death that was a lot of information so <laughs> i'll give yeah, that you back to you yeah, looking at you know the pedigree of like the tt games i mean it's like lego rock band lego pirates of the caribbean lego batman 3 lego harry potter lego lord of the rings Lego movie, Lego Avengers, Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens, Lego Ninjago movie, the video game, movie game, movie game, game, game. I mean, the one, there's yeah. a lot of great games there. And I know for sure that Sean Davies has platinumed damn near all of them. I've kind of almost stalked your entire career, to be honest, in, in terms of the games created. I think I've, I've not got 100% on two games that you've had anything to do with. I've platinum trophied every single Lego game, apart from Lego Rock Band. And I haven't platinumed Rainbow Six Siege, but Assassin's Creed, all of the Lego games. So yeah, I, I've accidentally stalked your entire career. I apologize. <laughs> I had no idea I was meeting my biggest fan tonight. How excited! Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> you start the club, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, Same. there's just one of us, and we've got a little laminate card. Steve Thornton Appreciation Society. Is <laughs> actually it's actually a Facebook group called that? You're kidding. <laughs> no, my friend made it when I was at TT. It's, it's basically an entire Facebook page of people making fun of the fact that I'm colorblind. Just an entire page of colorblind jokes. Oh, so you're colorblind. So, yeah, red, green, colorblind. So not, not like a dog. Like, a, I can see Christmas, you know. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's a small disability. Uh, it's enough to confuse me when I'm playing, like, you know, the old Call of Duties where everyone's brown and green. Oh, okay. Did that ever... Because I know that, like, obviously color is quite a big thing for lego games a lot of the powers have colors did that ever have any like a detriment on the, the way that you design those games 
Not on the way I designed them, because obviously I got a team to kind of help me out. Oh, and Lego right. games, helpfully, are usually quite bright primary colors. There's only one occasion I can recall, which is a game I didn't actually directly work on. Um, some of my closest friends at TT, they, they were on Lego City Undercover for years. And there is a color gun mechanic in that, where you have to choose the right paint color to fill in switches. And uh, they have a particular shade of blue and purple, which I just uh, cannot pass those puzzles on the first try. No matter what, it's like a USB stick. No matter which one I pick, it's the other one. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's that's interesting. It's it's interesting as well because I, I know there's been a major drive to, for accessibility for for colorblindness as well in in recent years. Have, have you have you found those have been helpful? Have you yeah, have you yeah, seen I mean, them? Uh, I, the only time I've ever actually used it ever uh, was on Doom Eternal, uh, which I was playing this year. Love it. And uh, it has a colorblind mode, and I put that on briefly. It, it did help, but it was so garish that I actually turned it off in the end. I was, I'd rather, you know, lose the UI in some environments than put up with that bright color the entire time. Um, but yeah, it is helpful to me. I'm lucky not to have it too badly. Like, I have met people who have got like really severe version of it. Like, usually it doesn't really come up unless it's in like a fast multiplayer environment or in a puzzle context and I just kind of muddle through it for the most part the time that comes out for me the most probably is whenever I'm doing any kind of like art or diagrams and I, I pull people over to my desk and I'm like hey can you help me out for a sec what color is, is that and they can look at me for a second like you kidding me like you put me over for this I'm like yeah really what color is that you know but for the most part I can get away with the dropper you know like if I'm doing a tree get a picture of a tree take the dropper <laughs> yeah you know yeah. Back when I was uh, in school and I was painting, my art teacher, before I knew I was colorblind, would, would keep chastising me because my, my grass was always toxic waste green. It was always like bright, glowing, poisonous green. I didn't know. <laughs> you were well ahead of the curve on abstractism in your school, is what you're saying. Yeah, I've got a bunch <laughs> of these uh, embarrassing stories. Like um, when I went to Cadbury World, for example, I don't know if you've predicted the ending of the story, but basically I went to... They made, you know, they have that candy, the big purple one. And they had this thing called the big purple room when they make it. And I was like, why do they call it the big purple room? And, then, and my friend was like, well, because the <laughs> color is purple. And the entire town around the factory of Cadbury is, is painted that color, like lampposts and everything. And to me, it was, it was, all, it was all blue. I, I was convinced that the Cadbury color was blue my entire life. And then in that real moment, the realization I was surrounded by purple. It was like that bit in like Ace Ventura 2 where he has the room of death and he spins around yelling. <laughs> <laughs> Did you scare some kids in the bunny? <laughs> I'm down on my knees. What's, what's wrong with that man, daddy? <laughs> anyway, let, let's, let's get back to some games. How Have you been keeping up with the, the news recently? Have you seen much of the news? Did you? In, in... I mean, there's so much news. Oh, what for sure. You're referring. <laughs> well, have, have you? Did you happen to get catch the Unreal Five demonstration? Well, I mean, hard to miss it, isn't it? Dominating a little bit. <laughs> social media feeds. Yeah. So I'm not like a big tech guy. I'm pretty. I managed to get into to where I am without much hands-on technical knowledge of like hardware at all. And to me, like although I've I've worked very closely with a bunch of different disciplines, like engineering, particularly like you know deep engine stuff like this, like. Uh, it remains magic to me. Like it grows on trees, and the people that do it to me are just like wizards. It's like incredible, you know. And uh, I have such a deep, like, like you know, 
profound respect for I think I tweeted about this but but about the work that goes into making that possible you know like it's such a technical achievement and and it's it's incredible that humans did that you know like it has to be respected from that point of view um as as a designer as someone works those kind of people I'm like wow you know incredible work I'm excited to see another generation of games look even better I think that the end of this generation has been stunningly beautiful there's been like a little the people aren't calling it a jump, but certainly like a powerful step in the last year or two with like Resident Evil 2, Final Fantasy VII Remake, Doom Eternal. These games are stunning to look at. You know, there's like times when I, you can see the, the composition of the levels when you just like, you know, step into like, or walk down the environment and it's like, wow, you know, I don't know if you guys are having that impression also. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think um, games being more beautiful is great. I think more present processing power is obviously great as well. Um, as a player, uh, I never really get excited about pure, uh, like, graphical or technical improvements that kind of make it better at what we're doing now. I'm more excited in things that allow us to do new things, if you know what I mean. I don't mean that to denigrate anyone's excitement about, like, the new engine or the new tech or anything. It's just not really what gets me going. Like, uh, Sony is going to announce uh, a new slate of games soon, apparently. And I think that's very wise because i need to have some games to attach this excitement to you know like uh that demo they showed where the uh the lady flies through that sort of crumbling uh like i guess aztec environment uh like that was pretty cool but is that a game i can buy and if so what happens if i land in in that crumbling you know world or or if uh, i can't land in in that world and it's just a flying game then isn't it just a really pretty infinite runner you know, so um, yeah, like from a technical point of view, very exciting. But I need to see some, I need some games and gameplay to attach it to. You know, like also like as a developer, like uh, I find that you, as we kind of increase the like the fidelity of the art, we kind of we kind of catch up with ourselves in terms of design. So for example, like in the Lego games, we were constantly improving our graphics engine and stuff. But the, re- the result was still, we could only have the same number of enemies on screen. The number of enemies we were allowed, the amount of draw distance we could have never increased because we just kept chasing that quality, you know? So you'd improve the quality of the environment, you'd improve the power, but then you still couldn't have any more content, yeah. you know? Because uh, it kind of catches up with itself. So I don't know if that's the case here, because again, I'm not a tech guy. I could be talking total shit. I don't know. Oh, can we swear on this podcast? I don't know. Absolutely. We fucking cool. can't Fuck swear. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, obviously very exciting, but I need some I need some intangible to put my excitement on. I need to be hyped for a product I can play, you know? Like, uh, not. I don't I don't mean any way to, like, you know, uh, poo-poo the thing, because it's very, very impressive. But uh, that's my take, anyway, as, as a consumer, as a player. Yeah. It's literally the first thing I thought of when I was when I was watching that demo was I want to play this game that's being demoed right now. Which is you know? which is fair. It, it looks like a very good demo, but also I think we we covered this like significantly last week about how we we need we kind of need to see it playing. And I think Steve's point about yeah, if you fall into those bits that were flying, um, what what happens there? It was a very shiny demo of the tech, but it wasn't really a game per se. Um, talking games design steve have you have you got a favorite from the last couple of years because you were saying about how there's been a, a definite graphical leap but I, I personally i think there's been some like there's game design leaps over especially across this generation what's been impressing you recently so i i've recently been kind of drawn to quite what i would call kind of loud game design 
And uh, going back to Doom Eternal again, that was a game I was really excited about for a long time because Doom 2016 has such loud design choices. You know, there's push-forward combat. And there's a lot of below the simplified kind of, you know, like the, the push Doom 2016, the whole kind of thrust pound push-forward combat is that the enemies give you health. So by, if you glory kill them, you get health from them. So whenever you're low on health, you have to push forward and kill more enemies in order to survive as opposed to pull them back. And other choices like, you know, not giving you a reload button, you read a crouch button, you know, kind of designed by subtraction. That was all really, really cool to me. And, the, and also the move away from hit scan back to like projectile stuff you can strafe around. That was all really exciting to me in 2016. It got me really hyped up for uh, Eternal. I watched a bunch of the promotional interviews with um, the creative director, Hugo Martin, and the producers and such with Nuclip. And uh, that, again, had some really interesting kind of design choices about controlling the player experience and that's kind of been my uh obsession or fixation for the last couple of weeks if not month i would say like if you following my twitter i've written a bunch of articles recently uh kind of revolving around these topics the idea of kind of uh, like tuning the game in terms of its incentives and its challenges and threats to kind of push the player to do a certain type of gameplay and uh, doom is a really strong example of that in fact doom is doom eternal in particular is probably the most extreme example of the kind of game design that I was kind of uh, following or chasing the last like, couple of years of my career. Like uh, it's, it's actually alienated a few people because it's gone so far because it's, it's really overt. Like the way that it works, uh, essentially it's, for those who haven't played it, uh, it pairs up uh, the resources you want, like ammo and health and armor uh, to abilities like the flame belch and the uh, the blood punch and the glory kills. So basically, whenever you get low on one of these things, it's like alarm bell. I have to do that ability now, and it pushes players to vary their and use all the abilities that they have and use the whole weapon wheel. They've also paired up the weapons of certain enemy weaknesses, and uh, I think all that stuff in terms of like kind of drawing the player in to do what they want uh, is really interesting to me as a designer because. Uh, Doom 2016 got a lot of praise already for the way it kind of drew the player in to be aggressive, but people still find ways to play it in a kind of repetitive or boring way, playing the most powerful weapons, playing you know DPS style. And for Doom Eternal to come out and then go even further and say we're going to control the play style even more, I think um, Hugo Martin describes it as corralling the player into the uh, what they call the fun zone. And uh, as a designer, like the term fun, it can be like so so poisonous to uh, the design process because Fun is a commodity that changes for everybody. Anyone who holds it is different. But uh, what they did at id uh, was they cleverly defined what fun was for Doom. And it was a bunch of activities and what the player would be doing. You know, like moving, changing weapons, prioritizing targets, basically thinking all the time, making these choices and doing these activities. So by identifying those things they wanted the player to do and then shooting the game to kind of force it to happen, that was really interesting to me. I read that a lot. Uh, that was a very like loud type of design. Um, so that Doom Eternal definitely stuck in my head a lot for that reason. Uh, it has some flaws. Like uh, I think for, for Doom Eternal, like my issue with it is the first hour or so of onboarding is really blunt. It's like piling you with information and tutorial screens. And at first I was, I'm going to use the word even, I was disgusted to be transported into a VR room where it's like, this is how you do this. You know, after Doom 2016's um, like elegant introduction that kind of drew you in really naturally to the mechanics in the world with no kind of clutter at all for Eternal to kind of start up with just, just clutter, just tripping over tutorial screens and prompts and menus all the way for the first like two levels. I think it's only like level four that I had enough of the weapon wheel, enough of the abilities learned 
uh, sorry, they clicked for me. So that's like a downside. Uh, they were really overt about what they want the player to be doing. And as a result, they kind of put a lot of that stuff forward. Uh, and there wasn't much. Um, I, I, someone on Twitter described it as being a game that tests uh, mastery, not discovery. It's a game that tests how you do the stuff it tells you to do really well, as opposed to letting players just find their own way to play or discover the right way to play, so to speak. Another one that's kind of like a loud design game to me, a little more intricate, is probably uh, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Obviously, another critical darling. People love that game. I'm not going to be surprising for anyone to hear that. I love Sekiro. But um, certainly from software's uh, style there is, again, really obvious. Uh, I, I really like some of the choices they've made at a very intricate level about, again, pairing up weapons and abilities with certain enemy types. But more than that, the way that it's tuned, just like Bloodborne was, to kind of make it so that when you first come to your location, the, the environments are quite complicated. There's a lot of different routes. It's not really always clear where to go. And the first time you meet an enemy, you don't really know what they can do. There's kind of a surprise element there, which brings that trial and error element in. What's really interesting about it, though, is all the enemies are kind of tuned so that you can kind of run through an area. And there's enough time between you running past them and them spotting you for you to get away. But if you, like, dawdle for a second, you take one moment, they kind of like, well, where do I go? They're on you, you know? They immediately clamp down on your position. And uh, that's just so delicately tuned. The next time you play it, like, if you notice, like, the beauty of these almost like finger trap style level designs that Bloodborne and uh, Sekiro have, and to an extent Dark Souls before it, is like when you first go into a location, you don't know what's going to happen. So you have to kind of suss it out. And once you learn what an enemy can do, you know how to beat them and you can fight them more confidently. But just like that in the environment also, when you revisit a location, you know where to go so you can breeze right through it. But if you need any amount of time to think, you're going to get stuck. You're going to have to do the fighting. So uh, that was really interesting as well. I absolutely agree with you on Doom. I gave that game a 10 out of 10, despite the fact that I did feel like I was being punched into doing a particular playstyle. by every time you meet a new enemy, you get a, a, a pop-up that says, this is the best way to kill this enemy. And I'm thinking, huh, I probably could have figured that out myself from all the flashing lights and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. You know, actually, also, the thing that kind of bugs me about it is that um, the game is actually like designed really well to teach you this stuff naturally. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in it that, like, for, for example, really obvious example is like the plasma gun. It's bright blue. The shields that they blow up are bright blue. You don't have to tell me that, you know. <laughs> and when you see the Doom Hunter later with the blue shield over it, you can just automatically make that assumption. You know, you go, okay, I can see that that blue shield is like the shields that the guys carry. I can work that out, you know. Yeah. And similarly, whenever they give you the uh, sticky bomb for the first time or the fragment for the first time, I can't remember which. The next enemy you see is a Kaku Demon. So the chances are <laughs> you're going to use your new ability on that are very high, you know? Yeah. So I felt like the kind of organic teaching and discovery was in there already. And then perhaps at some point, like, maybe the playtesters weren't getting it. Like, you know, the focus groups weren't getting it. And they kind of... Because you can see this in games sometimes whenever there's a kind of almost... Uh, kind of anxiety about the player getting something and they over-egg it. You know, is it collectibles on the other side of the hole? There's like dialogue from the character. It's color-coded. You've got UI screaming at you. And there's like five things, you know, being like, do this. And uh, I think whatever that's on top of something that kind of worked organically already, that's kind of a shame. Like, I feel like there was probably a passive Doom Eternal where you could have learned it naturally. And that's kind of been paved over by these overt uh, tutorial screens instead. I remember playing it at EGX quite a while ago, and there weren't as many of those messages. They, they, it's the chunk where you're basically getting to Mars. There was so many people asking for help, 
and getting stuck. You know, you could see the worried faces from some of the team that were there. So I imagine there probably was at one point a game that basically let you learn it however whatever speed you were going to learn it and using it organically through the way that they'd already designed it but then like you say it was probably playtesters that went maybe just tell us like i said i feel that was a bit of a shame to be honest i mean i ignored them to be honest as soon as those pop-ups came up i was like i'm just going to close it i don't even need to see it um because most of them are so self-explanatory like I said, so yeah, it was a shame. I haven't played Sekiro, but I know Greg has played Sekiro to death and bought it twice. As in, as in I died a lot, yeah. <laughs> Did you find that, because I, I played a bit of Bloodborne, and I could agree about the like the finger trap part, you know, basically once you figured out where the enemy placement is and where you can run between them to get from one place to another and you found the shortcuts, you can, you can skip parts, you know. I've died here enough times and know what I'm doing to have earned my way through without fighting. Is that something you find in Sekiro? You're asking me or Steve? Sorry. I'm asking you, Greg. Kind of, but it, the game will catch you out for your complacency. So, yeah, you, you sort of get the, the muscle memory going on of where this enemy is, where that enemy is. And you think you can breeze... Like, say you die on a boss and you think, oh, it's just... It's that old Mario thing of, like, you know, I know where this guy is, jump, hop. I've, I've memorised it. But sometimes you get overconfident and an enemy that you've killed, you know... 19 times with a quick backstab on the 20th time will catch you unawares and you've lost a massive chunk of health and you've got to go back to the shrine to reset your health but also reset that enemy so it does keep you on your toes in that regard but um it's it's never it, it punishes you for your for your overconfidence yeah there's definitely a pretty there's a high risk on every choice you make in that game like, have you have you finished it yet uh no actually i haven't finished it i took a break uh, the journal came out and everyone back to it uh, I'm at a I'm at a certain part which um, I'm not stumped exactly. Uh, I actually it's it's hard to describe the what happened to me playing Sekiro, but I got to the eight boss. And oh god, yeah. It wasn't that I got stuck. It was that throughout. So like I didn't finish Bloodborne either, uh, and I know that a certain amount of patience will allow you to defeat any of these games. Um, maybe then be Sekiro less because it's more skill based, but. I basically was playing Sekiro thinking that at some point I was going to hit a boss or a part that I couldn't do. I was thinking there'll be a, there'll be a place here where I, you know, the, the difficulty exceeds my skill level and I'll have to stop. Uh, and I got to the ape, but it wasn't that I felt I can't beat this guy. It was the opposite. I got to the ape and I died a few times and I thought, I can beat this guy. Uh. It just, it's going to take a bunch of my time and effort to do it but I can do it. And when I had that realization, I kind of lost motivation to trying because I realized that anything in the game can kind of be brute forced through eventually. Yeah, and I agree. So when I started having to go back to like farm prosthetic charges and stuff, I kind of lost the spirit for it. But I'm hoping to go back someday and, and try again. I'm on some new games now, but I hope to eventually return to it. Maybe I'm lying to myself. And to no, you. I, I had that same kind of that thing. I got to the the final boss of the the sort of true ending, and oh, I, I died so many attempts. And then I traded the game in. I was like, you know what? I'm going to resign myself to never finishing this. Um, I kept my save and I bought it again. And I actually went through and did the bad ending, which is just as difficult because there's a, there's a certain point in the game which I won't spoil for people, but you can make a choice. And if you if you choose like say the negative one, you get the bad ending, which cuts out another third of the game. But it's also like another challenge, a sequence of challenging bosses. And I actually finished the bad ending and then psyched myself up to go back to my other save. And I managed to do it. And I think it took me, I think, what was it? I started playing it at nine o'clock at night. 
and I finished. I mean, this is this is all in the same boss, and you literally go from save point to boss. There's no there's no uh, enemy run between that. And yeah, I think it was sort of like half one, two in the morning that it, I finally did it. So what's that? Nearly nearly five hours, and I did it. But yeah, I mean, I haven't got back to it since. I don't want to taint the memory now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> have you still got it though you've not I've still it. got Sekiro yeah no I, I do want to go back to it I look at it and go yeah there is those extra bosses I haven't done or there's there's the various trophies I haven't done but at the same time I'm like hmm I've never been a fan of self-flagellation so I don't really want to put myself through it <laughs> Fair enough. but yeah Steve you should, you should finish it it's really good <laughs> yeah well I keep floating past like when I install a new game and it, there's a bit of space needed I go to secure I'm like should I uninstall it I think no because that's committing to never doing it you know <laughs> so I leave it on the hard drive taking up space as a way to punish myself yeah for, uh, like, a, like, a, like a reminder of it needs doing yeah plus it's hard to get um, physical copies of games here in Russia there's not very many uh, game stores so almost everything I get is digital so I, the hard drive space is it's precious so I'm sure eventually it <laughs> Secure was just pushed out. Like Final Fantasy VII remake, I'm playing at the minute, and that that's pushed a lot of space. Yeah. But... How are you finding Final Fantasy VII remake? I am really liking it, actually. Um, I one thing that fascinates me about it, uh, in terms of the the design of it, is that when I first saw the trailers and I saw that they were going real time, like I was a huge Final Fantasy like seven, eight, nine, ten fan. Like all the way through the, that that you know streak of of games, but then whenever they eventually went, I think it was eleven that did it. it was eleven online, and then twelve was was the one yes, that. Had yeah. But yeah, whenever they went uh, real time with it, I kind of lost interest, which is weird because I love real time action games. They like me cry and stuff. I'm big into it, Bayonetta. But Final Fantasy, when it went that way, it just wasn't what I was looking for anymore. And I was worried that this remake would do the same thing, but it's actually the best balance of real time and, and passive strategy that I've seen them do in a long time. And uh, it's fascinating to me how it's managed to recreate the kind of gameplay patterns of the uh, the original Final Fantasy VII. Like the balance of like healing and attacking, like waiting for the A to B bar that you need to heal your people, prioritizing which one comes first. And uh, at first I was annoyed at the new layer of real time that could like knock you out of your attacks that you were charging and waste your I hate that. I still hate that, though. Yeah, it's it's frustrating, but it, it basically just adds a new layer, which is, like, timing when to do it. Some of the moves also, the one that really annoys me is whenever I do uh, an ability cost that is up close, like a melee move, and the enemy slips out of range. Yes, it yeah. That's, ugh. Well, the reason, we haven't done a deep dive on this yet, because, um, weirdly enough, like, of, of all the people that haven't played the original, Ross has gone and played this new one and beaten it already. And I haven't. I'm kind of dragging my feet. And I won't bore everyone with the example of what happened last week. But yeah, I, I kind of hit a plateau with it. But um, yeah, that, that if we if we do ever deep dive into it, that's one of the negatives that really bothers me is you've, you've got an enemy in front of you and you pick your, um, you know, you saved up your two ATB bars for this super special move and it goes, nope. And they move two feet out of the way. And you just think, I've just fucking wasted the build up and the literal build up to that as well. And uh, it just that's what I hate about the game. I'm not saying you should auto lock on and chase the enemy around the environment, but it, nor should it keep the enemy frozen in place for you to hit it. But at the same time, it's just it's one of the things that really bothers me. Same with casting magic as well. You know, you, you think you've launched a fireball and it moves to the side, and you think, well, that's I've just wasted that. But anyway, that, that's that's a rant for another week. <laughs> yeah, it's it's frustrating because uh, the enemy movements aren't aren't as uh, like queued up or telegraphed as yeah. they are, like yeah. proper. 
real-time action games, like a lot of the moves, for example, that charge up, you're meant to dodge or block, they just take a beat longer than you expect them to, and you block a little bit, you dodge a little bit early or whatever. Especially like the laser moves, and they charge punished. so long, you know? Yeah, I had, I had, I mean, I don't, well, I know I said it earlier on, I don't want to spoil it for you, but there isn't, there is a bit on my, I actually put the quip, clip on my Twitter last week, which is what made me hit that point fuck it, where I just went, nope, and if you, if you find it, you'll see what made me, what really cheesed me off about it. I'll check it out. The algorithm <laughs> hasn't shown me it yet, but uh, I'll go there manually. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't give too much away in spoilers of story, but it's it's a later boss, sort of a couple of chapters on from where you are, but it's it's not giving too much away that you wouldn't have seen in the original. But it's that yeah. point where I just went, nope, I'm done. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really enjoying it. I'm starting to hit the edges of it now, I think. Though that, like, because a lot of the enemies have very specific weaknesses, and I have that assess material stuff. So, like, whenever I scan a boss or an enemy and it's, like, use ice moves, I'm like, well, I haven't equipped any of those. Yeah. So, I guess that's me restarting or just muddling through, you know? Because uh, the material system, I, I love the link, the material chains and links and slots and stuff, but it does kind of feel a bit more archaic whenever I'm actually in the middle of a battle and it's like, you should probably have this material, you know? Because what am I going to do? I'm going to restart? Yeah, like, it punishes you for not having the foresight to think ahead. Yeah. I mean, I quite like losing and going back and, and changing the, the material and coming back and winning. Well, actually, I don't. I don't like the losing part. I like changing the material and coming back and winning. And I guess <laughs> that, is, that is impossible without the losing part. So, but um, yeah, no, I still really like it. There's a bunch of lovely little touches in it. I really like how the individual characters have different styles. I really like the weapon proficiency thing. I think that's a really nice way of getting around the uh, the weapon problem of that people, you know, hugging one weapon and not changing it. Like they're having that proficiency bonus. The special move you can kind of take from a weapon once you use it enough. That's kind of cool. And uh, how some weapons are better for slots, some are better for attacking. Yeah, I like that stuff, you know? So, uh, no, I'm still enjoying it. And then I'm probably going to go to the end. Uh, I don't know how much patience I'm going to have for these side missions. Like, um, on, on the, the pre-call, we were talking about how uh, you're, like, a beat ahead of me. And I'm basically just waiting to finish this huge collection of side missions, these fetch quests and stuff before I, I go over the one-way ticket to the end of the game and, and catch up. So maybe I'll just do it. Maybe I'll knock off all of these these uh, civilian requests that I've got. I mean, from where you are now, I mean, it's pretty relentless to the end once you jump over the wall. And there's... I wouldn't say there's a massive amount of side missions from that moment, without spoiling everything, but I don't know. Who else has finished it? Toby, Sean, can you attest to that? Yeah, you can't, even, you can't even do all of the quests in one playthrough anyway, so you might as well carry on. You have to go back and do it to get the dresses and, you know, the um, the different stuff in wall in wall market and stuff like that. So, um, mm. you should try hard mode. That's where that's where some of us are now, and that's where we're throwing <laughs> our controllers out of the window, um, because hard mode is just insane. If you think things don't telegraph and you think you're getting punished for not having the right materia, imagine not being able to use items at all <laughs> and uh, some of these things that they introduce in hard mode I, I think i've just got to the end of my skills did you uh, did think. you clear did you clear the hell house in the end no i'm still stuck on the hell house oh okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm wondering about uh, chapter selecting to the next chapter and then doing the rest of the game and seeing if hell house is going to be my only problem and if it is then going back and doing it at the end i mean i remember beating uh, greg was talking about that particular boss um, that he sort of rage quit on and I mean, even on normal, that was a massive pain in the ass. 
Um, probably even more so for me as a player than than Hell House was. And I can't even imagine what it's going to be like on a high difficulty. It generally scares me. You, you don't want you don't want to go there. there. Yeah, you don't want to go there. It's um, <laughs> I'm halfway through and I'm just nah. I think I might. I think I might delete that 90 gigabyte thing that's sitting in my PlayStation hard drive. I'd <laughs> say, though, I mean, I do respect that uh, they've kept so much of the wacky weirdness from the original game. The fact that we're discussing a hell house, you know, I'm sure there was a conversation which was like, should we drop that? Should we lose the hell house? <laughs> they supposedly kept every single enemy. There was something I read that they said they've, that somewhere in the game is every single enemy from the original, you know, from the, the time frame that's. Um, represented from the old game um, is in there somewhere. Yeah, and then some. There's a couple of cameos from the uh, the world map as well, which I noticed. They have, they have tried where they can to kind of bring in notes and music and, and storylines from beyond Midgar, like to an extent. Uh, so you, you can kind of see them trying to satisfy that they probably know that people who have played Final Fantasy VII the original all the way through, like their memories are kind of attached to their end game stuff. So they've kind of included a bunch of the end game hints as well like i don't think it's a spoiler to say that you know there's a a bomb in there you know in the world <laughs> there's lots of stuff later on that we we are covered in a sort of end game spoiler uh article and um yeah there's so much more to come it's going to be great are you looking forward to the uh you know part two three possibly four that's um you know that's going to be coming for the next five years so we're in, we're in deep spoiler territory here now i'm not going to go into it in detail but uh, there is some stuff happening in the story now, uh, and the fact that uh, that people have told me the end game is a spoiler to me, even though I've played the original game, and uh, I'm putting two and two together here, and I'm thinking that there's going to be some strong deviations uh, towards the end of the game, uh, and I, I'm not really happy with how it's been handled so far. It's kind of irking me. I'm definitely irked. So. We'll see. We'll see how deep that irk goes. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to deal with it. Um, because... I think Greg's the more irked out of the rest of us, aren't you, Aren't you, Greg? I am I am the most irked going, yes. I liked it. I like <laughs> where it's going with some of that new stuff, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that you'll still get all of the main story beats as you go through the rest of the next chapters. It's just going to have a different feel or it's going to have, you know, different ways that you get to them, but I think the main things still have to happen. Mm. I mean, as someone who's didn't play the original i like the ending i thought it was fun so <laughs> Which... i don't i don't have anything to compare it to so i kind of uh, enjoyed the, the the madness of it all and looking forward to see where it goes well, one day i actually need to sit down and talk to you about this ending on a spoiler cast because i genuinely don't know how you enjoyed it and that's that's <laughs> <laughs> i mean i just i don't know I mean, is it too late for a spoiler cast i don't know maybe maybe it is but we can do it anyway We'll, we'll do it in, in two years' time, and when when we when, when Greg finally... finishes the game, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I've sold it and bought it again, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah when party comes out, we can talk about it on the uh, PS6. Cool. Okay. Well, let's crack on with uh, with what we normally do now is what we've been playing, but of course that goes on for like twenty minutes, so we're going to cut it short this week, and we're going to go with our game of the week. So we've each picked one game that we uh, think is a game that played this week that you should be checking out so i'm gonna start with it wasn't said anything in ages paul collett so i've played two games this week uh one was just cause four which is an enigma and it's on right uh and forza was it forza street because i've been busy oh. decorating so i'd recommend forza street because um it's like a rhythm game but you're driving and it's all forza bells and whistles so yeah i'm really enjoying that so that's one for mobile phones i'm not sure if it's out on android though but it's definitely out on ios yeah, but it's out on Android. I've had a go on it as well. 
Fantastic. It is a... I'm really not a big fan of touchscreen games, um, especially ones that try to emulate console games because the buttons are just all over the place on the screen. Uh, but Forza Street has been designed for mobile and looks great and plays much better than a lot of races on mobile have done in the past. Uh, so, yeah, I can uh, I can vouch for that for sure. Surprise, I mean, I won't give too much away because you should just download it, but it's a surprisingly simple game, but yet it's actually quite complex and you get quite into it and it doesn't get boring. It's a very, uh, it's a very interesting mechanic for a driving game, so uh, it's definitely worth checking out. Sean Davies, what's your uh, game of the week? Well, my game of the week, um, I was, I was. <laughs> if you could narrow it down to one, I, I am going to narrow it down to one. But I've just realised that the game I wanted to talk about was by Sparrowsoft, or at least they did the remastering job, and Steve's here, so <laughs> I don't want to like pimp out a game that he might have worked on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Saints Row the Third Remastered is the game that I think people should be playing from this week. It is a very, very good remaster, and I didn't know that Sparrowsoft did remasters. I, I, you know, you think about remasters and you think like Blue Point, but uh, Sparrowsoft did this one and they've done a very, very good job. Um, I was surprised. It's one of those things that I always remember Saints Row 3 as being a good looking game back then. And I played it like for the first time on the Xbox One and um, I thought this looks really good. And then I pulled up some footage of the original Xbox 360 version and I was like, wow, this looks really good compared to the original. So it was only like in comparison that you actually see that, yeah, it is a really good remaster. And they, they the visuals are like of today's standard. There's a lot of work that's gone on to it. There's like uh, new occlusion methods, new textiles, like different art styles have been employed on some of the, the models. It's, it's a very good remaster. And there is still a three-foot dildo that you can beat people up with. So... I, I don't know what else I can say about, about that game other than you should go and play it. If you've not before, um, you're in for a lot of laughs. And if you have played it before, it's still worth a look. Um, for me, it is the best game in the Saints Row series. I think it's uh, a lot of laughs. So go and give that a look. Yeah, yeah, sure. I'll jump in just to say uh, I didn't work on it personally. I'm not going to take any any credit here. The, the people that, that worked on that, which is across the hall from me, and on a set of doors, some of my uh, friends worked on that. A good, good good friend of mine was a production director on it, and I'm super happy for them that uh, they did such a good job, and uh, they're getting so much well deserved praise as a result. There's been a lot of you know positive stuff on the uh, airwaves for them. So uh, yeah, it's great great news for them. And uh, Volition was nice enough to. Thanks, Sparrowsoft, directly on their Twitter, which is quite unusual for us to get so much um, public uh, attention. So that was really cool as well. So, uh, so yeah, not one of mine, but uh, I know a lot of people that did it, and I know that they are popping champagne this week. Brilliant. Brilliant. Greg, what is your game of the week, sir? My game of the week is uh, Maneater. Oh, the... there she goes. Yeah. Watch out, folks. Chill, chill. Which I'm really proud that I thought of that as the tagline, and I'm kind of pissed off slash respectful for it every other publication that did that as a tagline as well because i thought i was (laughs) i thought i was being witty and original and it turns out i'm not so yeah no i've been playing manita because it's fun like there's nothing comparable to it you could say it's got elements of rpgs and open world games but i'm a friggin shark and i've just learned the ability where i can sort of flop about on land for a bit longer so i'm jumping out of i'm breaching the water landing on golf courses and just eating the fuck out of people which is amazing. <laughs> like, you know, it's great fun. And yeah, it's a little bit buggy. Like, I don't know if you've experienced it on the PS4 version, but there's sometimes where, um, especially if you've beaten like a hunted animal or one of the apex predators or something and it, and it falls apart. And as you start eating the, the bits of it that fall apart, 
it just has these really not screen tears but these really awful like compression issues where the thing you're eating suddenly becomes like screen filling and stretched out and then it kind of passes but um that aside it's great fun and listening to chris parnell's commentary is brilliant those who don't know chris parnell is um cyril from archer and he's also the dad on um rick and morty and he's also in other things as well from like snl and all that so from um 30 rock right yeah i haven't seen 30 rock but it does sound familiar um he's also an anchorman as well (laughs) which i didn't realize um but yeah, it's just it's great fun just pooting about the not quite Floridian sort of southern gulf and eating people. And it's just really over the top. And I've I'm on evolution stage uh three of five and I'm already quite a big shark. So by the time I get to like megalodon stage, I'm gonna be huge. And so I'm unlocking more abilities and it's just it's really coming into its own. So yeah, it's it's been my, my sort of time sink so far in the last few days. Nice. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's bonkers, isn't it? It's just, mm. it's just crazy. Toby, what is your game of the week? I'll keep mine short and sweet because it's under embargo. So by the time this goes out, what the it, the review should follow a day later. But it's for Resolution, uh, spelt with two eyes. Um, so a little hack and slash 2D adventure game. I would say it is worth your time, but I'll keep that I'll keep that to all I really say about it until the review is uh, is up. I mean, is it maybe worth our time or is it maybe not worth our time? No, I'm saying it's maybe it is. Maybe it's maybe it's both because we're still under embargo. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Pandora's <laughs> box level reviews. Well, at this stage, not a lot. <laughs> maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe they'll have to wait until the embargo pops up. Indeed. This is Schr- Schrodinger's review. <laughs> <laughs> it may or may not be worth your time, depending on how the review turns out. <laughs> okay, cool. what's what's my game of the week? My game of the week. I'm going to throw kind of left field. It's not really a brand new game, but I guess it's quite new in the sense of what platform it's on. My game of the week is uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds on Google Stadia. It's probably the game I've put the most hours into this week. And I am absolutely stunned at how well Google Stadia runs. In terms of all the game streaming options that are currently kind of like slowly making their way into the zeitgeist, Stadia seems to be getting the most crap. And rightly so, you know, its, it's selection of games is poor so far. Um, there's not really a lot of support. All the things that they're adding to it are taking a very long time to come. But in terms of a system that actually works, it just works. And it just works really, really well. And PUBG runs beautifully on it. And I've spent a lot of my time today just tearing through matches and with like no issues whatsoever. So a lot of that is just down to how well Stadia is, is built, I think. And I'm going to go for Google Stadia and PUBG as my uh, game of the week. So, yeah, I mean, it's still the two month thing is still on, I think, for maybe a couple of weeks. So if you have a mobile phone and have a games controller and can connect it to your phone, give it a go if it's available where you are. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty great. Steve, do you have a game of the week, a game that you've been enjoying this week? So a little while ago, I was a guest judge uh, at DevGam, which was uh, a game convention that was usually set in uh, Moscow, but in this case, but online due to the international crisis ongoing. So uh, I played a bunch of games for that, uh, mostly indie or, or small team developed games. So uh, one for me that really stood out um, was a game. I think I think it's coming out sooner as out already. It's called Round Guard. And uh, if I'm to elevator pitch it to you, uh, imagine if you will, it's kind of like a, a pinball or breakout style game where you play. It's kind of got like a D and D fantasy character skin. So you've got different characters like a rogue or a warrior. 
and you're like a little, you're curled up in a little ball, you're a cute little character, curled in a ball, and you're fired through the level. And you kind of, you can bounce off pots to get magic and health, and each bit of character has got a different ability to help them um, smash the enemies in this area. And the goal basically is to fire yourself from a cannon at the top of the screen, like a pinball, hit all the enemies and kill them all, and then um, land in the little pot that collects you at the bottom so you don't take any damage. And uh, it's a really delightful little puzzle game, really charming. Uh, I don't know if you've got a firm uh, picture of it on your visual canvas from that description, but uh, it's full of these little clever design ideas. Like though that each character ability is a real game changer, like in the way it is played. And uh, I wouldn't have picked it up if I wasn't, because I, I was a judge, I had to play all the games. So I probably wouldn't have clicked it. And so for me, it was a nice little discovery that it was, it was um, so much fun. Like I, I played each of them for uh, like an hour at least, but this one I didn't want to put down. I got addicted to it uh, when I was playing it. So uh and uh, it's got a kind of a sense of humor to it, which is kind of like a little bit tongue in cheek, but it lands as quite, you know, like genuine as opposed to kind of uh, sarcastic or a parody, which is quite rare to land on that, that side of things with the humor. So I really liked it a lot. Uh, so yeah, Rheingard, you can check that out if you're interested. Oh, yeah, sounds awesome. Yeah, I think I will. Right then, Steve, are you ready for the quiz? <laughs> I'm so not ready. <laughs> <laughs> I've listened uh, to a few of these now as a kind of, of practice. And sometimes, like I think, you know, no offense to those of you not getting the answers correct, but I'm, I'm thinking that's really easy. They're, and all other times, uh, I am surprised at, at the, how difficult they are. And uh, I'm way out, embarrassingly so. But I don't mind, you know, being the Alan Davies to your Stephen Fry. You know, someone's got to hit the klaxon, right? Uh, I think Toby already beat you no, with that last week. I was going to say no offense taken, because it was clearly me you meant. <laughs> <laughs> Toby, not out of twenty. <laughs> it's the fact that you make it out of twenty as well, and it's still not I know, it's worse one, than it's being week, out of ten. <laughs> the one week we double the uh, double the answers, and you you failed twice. Still managed, out. yeah. Right, I just got to get one this time. Just one, <laughs> just one. Just one. Uh, right, it's time for Sean's menagerie. By the sounds of it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most exhilarating, most exciting, most electrifying video game quiz in all the world. Hosting the Finger Guns Trivia Challenge. Lock up your daughters. Hold on to your butts and go absolutely uptown Funkatron for the smoothest can in the entire podcast cosmos. It's the knowledge himself, Mr. Sean Davies! Okay, let's do this. This week's quiz is all about 3D platformers. 3D platformers in all their glory. Just like um, a little bit biased to Roscoe, by any chance. No, no, this is this is biased to all of you. I've tried not to stay in in anybody's particular lane. Mm. I, I I have tried to go to every single publisher and imaginable. So I'm hoping this won't be too biased towards anybody. Are you guys ready? I think Toby Ooh, might actually get one of these. So, if I don't. I'm, <laughs> uh, do you know what? I I actually started this quiz as an, as an anthro quiz, <laughs> specifically for Toby. But, catering uh, catering to our resident furry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so if you've never done this quiz before, I'm going to ask the guys the questions. It's always the end of the quiz. Well, end of the podcast. We'll get the answers and see who won. So let's do this. So question one: When Sonic's eyes are coloured, what colour are Sonic's eyes? So when they are just black pinholes, what colour are Sonic's eyes? 
I mean, Steve's colorblind. That's really offensive. <laughs> yeah, I see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even. You can't even send him a picture for reference. <laughs> Sorry. Is is this Sonic uh, Super or Standard? Standard. Um, let's let's take Movie Sonic because that's the most recent that most, most people have seen. Uh, so, when Sonic's eyes are coloured, what colour are Sonic's eyes? Question two. Of the pair ukulele, what animal is... Laylee? So, question two. Of the pair ukulele, what animal is Laylee? God, I haven't played either of these. Of the two, of the two, which one is Toby dressing up as for Halloween? <laughs> okay, question three. Ratchet from Ratchet and Clank is what kind of alien species? Foreign. <laughs> I mean, what kind of alien species? I didn't realize I mean, it was an alien. I might get this right. I might get the this one right. The, 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 it's a major plot point in about three of the games. So I have played none of them. Well, I've, pla- I've platinumed four of them. Um, well done, yeah. Sam. Well done. Yeah, but you, you didn't even get the God of War question last week, so I have no. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm going to sound confident again, and then I'm going to get it wrong. Okay, question three: Ratchet from Ratchet and Clank is what kind of alien species? It's going to be really something stupid, like Ratchetonian or something. Oh, because it's a oh. name, isn't it? Not a. Sorry, ignore that. <laughs> Take a guess. No. Okay, question four. In Super Mario 64, how many yellow coins is a blue coin worth? It's a bit naughty, isn't it? Question four. In Super Mario 64, how many yellow coins is a blue coin worth? It's getting harder. No, it's not. Okay. I mean, yes, it is. God, it's so hard. <laughs> uh... Okay, question five. Which 3D platforming lead character is a guest character in both Hot Shots Golf 2 and Mad Dash Racing? That's a good question. Question five. Which 3D platforming lead character is a guest character in both Hot Shots Golf 2 and Mad Dash Racing? Ah, it's called something else over here, isn't it? No. Are you sure? I think. Oh, I think it's. It nope. is. <laughs> isn't that everybody's golf? Yeah. Yeah, because it's hot shots golf to somewhere in the world. It's hot shots in America. It's everybody's golf for it. So that's probably helped me. I think. Okay. Mm. That's not me at all. Uh, cut that question again, please, Sean, please. Of course you can. Uh, you can mark that off your bingo board. Paul has asked for the question again. Question, <laughs> five. <laughs> question five. Which 3D platforming lead character is a guest character in both Hot Shots Golf 2 and Mad Dash Racing? 
Oh, yeah, no, got no idea. What a waste of time that was. As we call it over here, everybody's golf, because we're okay. British. Okay, question six. Mori, the muscle in Sly Cooper's Gang of Thieves, is what kind of animal? Question six. Murray, the muscle in Sly Cooper's Gang of Thieves, is what kind of animal? Again, another game I haven't played. All these all these 3D platformers they hit the PS2, just swoosh. Mm-hmm. Too busy playing Devil May Cry and Metal Gear Solid because I'm cool. Yep, whatever you say, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Question seven. A level in the original Crash Bandicoot is named after a famous band. Which band is it? Question seven. A level in the original Crash Bandicoot is named after a famous band. Which band is it? I don't want to say it. Because I'm pretty sure my phone will then pick it up and try and sell me their version of Rock Band or something. Or Guitar Hero. Or, or Guitar Hero. That was really weird the other week. That was really weird the other week. Just scrolling through and it's like, do you want to buy a Van Halen Guitar Hero? No. <laughs> okay. Question eight. Klonoa Door to Pan... <laughs> Phantom Isle <laughs> uh, was remastered and released as an exclusive for which console in 2008 in Japan and 2009 in Europe? What? Klonoa, Door to Phantom Isle, was remastered and released as an exclusive for which console in 2008 in Japan and 2009 in Europe? I know some of those words. But not many. This was my Greg Focus question for the week. What? Because I wrote about it in an article the other week. You're the only one who still remembers Klonoa. Oh, I fucking love Klonoa. The first one was amazing. <laughs> it, it's Phantom Isle, by the way. Yes. It's got an, I, I, it's got, I, it's got an H in it. <laughs> I, I said it rather for a second time. All right. Um, <laughs> okay. Question nine. In Knack 2, what colour is the second Knack? If the player is playing in two-player co-op, people still play now. My kids play it every other day. How dare you? Would you say they've got a knack for it? Uh... <laughs> oh, don't you ever criticize my dad jokes again. <laughs> in question nine, in knack two, what color is the second knack? If the player is playing in two-player co-op. And finally, question 10. Which studio originally developed the game Psychonauts? Question 10. Which studio originally developed the game Psychonauts? So... How did you find that one? Tough? Easy? Middling? I'm not confident in that one at all. Overall middling. Yeah, I think I got okay. a couple. Overall, overall little gag. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that contribution. Most welcome. How many questions were there? Ten. 
It's weird that I've got 11 answers. <laughs> <laughs> That's, Man, how you you get... That's how you win. That's how you win these things. <laughs> you get eleven out of ten. I'm going to be very impressed. <laughs> Overachiever. Okay, thank you, Sean. Right, we're going to be on to some news. There's not a lot of news this week, but we wanted to focus on something that we thought was worth talking about. In that Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath, which is coming out. Is it out already? Out on the 26th. So it's coming out this week and lands as a 40 pound expansion to Mortal Kombat. 11, which on a special edition is already £75. Now, I want to get Greg in on this because, Greg, of course, you reviewed Mortal Kombat 11 and you had yeah. the, uh, the the big edition for it. I did, yes. And we had a discussion about whether or not Aftermath came with the, the season pass that you got with your edition, and it turns out it didn't, uh, which puts the price of this game up to £110 if you want everything. And Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Well, slight slight sort of misnomer there. Um, if you've already got the, the deluxe edition, which I have, which comes with a battle pass, uh, sorry, the combat pack, whatever it's called, um, Aftermath is only thirty four ninety nine, but it still racks it up to about £110, £115, which is ridiculous. Now, the caveat is that uh, all the friendships, babalities, all that kind of stuff, they're free. But if you want to play the extra characters, you can't purchase them individually which I think is fucking atrocious. Now, every fighting game seems to have fallen into this pattern in recent years, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna praise it anymore. Like I obviously big big Street Fighter fan. Um this sort of first this sort of rolled round with Street Fighter four for me. I mean I know it was sort of happening before that. And then they started releasing several versions of it. And I rolled with it then and I was still pissed off that I paid like forty good for my base copy of Street Fighter Four and then the other versions came out and they released like the ultra version as a free update for those that had the arcade version, but you still have to spend 20 quid on top of that. So I'm not, I'm obviously guilty of buying into it myself, but due to inflation, 60 quid is one thing, sort of total, 110 to 115 quid is, is ludicrous. And Mortal Kombat's not the only one guilty of doing that. Tekken 7 is a prime culprit for it as well, because like the base game, when you first bought it, was 50 quid, and they've done like, to, uh, they're on three season passes now. Now I bought, I didn't buy it immediately. I bought it in a sale, and I bought it was the base game and weirdly enough season pass two, I think, or maybe one, and it was fifteen ninety nine. But then I still had two more additional character packs to buy. And I think Tekken's the only one that lets you buy these characters separately. But it's still bullshit that you are buying original characters reskinned and retooled for the seventh iteration of the game. But more specifically with Mortal Kombat, yeah, I mean, like like you said, I was fortunate enough to get the, the deluxe version to review. So I'm very grateful for that in that regard. But it's still ridiculous that you think you're buying a complete version of a game, a, a deluxe version. But there is obviously a fine print somewhere that says, it, it, does, it does happen in some games as well, but I can't think off the top of my head. It does say, does not include season pass or does not equate to a season pass. So you think you're buying a complete version of a game sometimes and it's still not. And I'm still having to fork out half the well, half the price of a AAA game for more content. And if I want to play as Robocop, for example, I've got to fork out a minimum of 35 quid for this now, which is fucking mm. disgusting. And it means that if I go online um, with my copy now and I want to play anyone, I could be playing against Fusion, Robocop, and the third character whose name I've forgotten is coming out with it slip my mind but it means i can play against them so they are going to be in the base code of the game 
that I would have downloaded the update for. But if I want to play Robocop, you know, if I want to live out my my modern day version of Robocop versus Terminator, which all the trailers are putting out there now, they've obviously cottoned onto that from the old Mega Drive games. But it's gonna I'm gonna have to fork out another thirty five quid for it. Which is like Mortal Kombat's not the only one for it. And I'm not defending Street Fighter anymore because that's still doing it as well. It's just stupid that we we tout Call of Duty and FIFA and all the other EA games for it. But fighting games seem to have and this isn't meant to be a pun, but fighting games still have a, a pass to do so. You know, they still get a pass. And it's it's bollocks. If you go onto like the Street Fighter store or, or like the, the PlayStation store, for example, look at all the Street Fighter add-ons. It's ludicrous. You know, like yeah. all the extra costumes and all that kind of shit. And it's going to make people... Like now we're on the Championship Edition, which is the third version of Street Fighter 4. And I've already bought the first one and I sold it. Uh, sorry, Street Fighter 5. I bought the first one, sold it because it was weak. And I then bought the arcade version and it had Seasons Pass 1 and 2 in it. And then it was like, oh yeah, but three's on the way. And I'm like, I'm not forking out another 20 quid for a season pass. And that's when I traded my copy. And I'm like, no, I'm just done with Street Fighter. Like, I still play Street Fighter 4. But yeah, I mean, more specifically, like focusing on Mortal Kombat, because that's the hot one here. But it's bullshit that fighting games can still get away with that. And they're, they're just, they draw in just as much as, you know, like other esports games do. Street Fighter is a big tournament game. Mortal Kombat is now because it's because it's come back since 9X and this one. But it's it's just insane like i'm refusing to do it not because i can't afford it mm. i don't want to i don't play it enough anyway to warrant putting another 35 quid into it i mean yeah oh fine there are people that will but i think the only people i've had a few games against are sean and um chris wall and that's it and i'm not putting 35 quid in just to go online and get my ass handed to me by people that have already put hours and hours and hours in you know it's it's obscene it's it's a shitty practice that people overlook because like you know because for some reason why do why do fighting games get away with it 100 yeah. 110 pound for mortal Kombat is stupid it looks a little mm. bit like they're um they're shafting the older players the ones who supported it on day one yeah that's even exactly more than it. even more than new players because as a new player you could actually buy the aftermath collection according yeah. to what i'm reading online which is you know you're going to get that for the price of a base game but you're going to get all the characters yeah I mean, instead that, of that, having to buy this extra bit on top which will cost you double yeah i mean like that that has happened to me before with other games um a hot example is uh, deus ex human revolution now i bought that on day one and yeah all right the boss fights sucked and then they released the director's cut a year down the line which was improved it had the dlc in it and it was more than half price of that um dishonored you know i bought dishonored on the xbox 360 for 40 quid and then when it came out on ps4 it was 30 quid with the two DLCs. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's my buyer's choice. I don't have to do that because I've already played the game. But like like you say, it punishes those that have bought it day one or have just bought 50 quid on the day one or, you know, in the early days of it. And, yeah, they're getting punished now for, what what's that going to be? 90 quid minimum for the whole thing. Yeah. And it's just obscene. And then the, those, that, those that supported NeverRealm and Warner Brothers by buying the, the, the deluxe one, I mean, I think the physical version came with like a steelbook or something. Um, it's like, oh, thanks for supporting us and buying the extra content. Oh, but you still have to fork out as much as anyone that's bought the base version. Your combat pack has only got you what they couldn't have originally, but you're going to have to be in the same bracket as they are if they want to play as new characters. And it's just the insulting thing is is giving you the the, the friendships, the battle. You know, that's that's like a teaser, isn't it? It's like, oh, here's here's some of the free, here's some of the new content. But if you want the rest of it, paywall. And that is fucking ridiculous. It's either all or nothing, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be hidden behind a bracket. It should be here is all this content for supporting us. You know, look at 
the only the only company I've said it before on the podcast, the only company that's done it fairly, in my mind, is CG Pro- CD Projekt Red because they said, yeah, The Witcher Three is massive. By the way, we're working on two story DLCs. They're going to be later this year. Yes, they'll be 15, 20 quid each, or they'll be in the season pass, but they are going to be story content in the days of expansion packs from PC games, for example. They are going to be, and they 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 stuck to their word. And in the in the proviso, they gave you three bits of DLC, like sixteen different bits of DLC. You didn't have to buy those story things to to get the complete Witcher Three experience. You had the complete Witcher Three experience with your fifty quid, and this was if you want to carry on the adventure. What's happening with Mortal Kombat now is you finish the main story. I'm not going to spoil it. It's like you finish the main story, but done, done, done. Here's a concluding extra epilogue, an extra chapter or two for thirty five quid. Or the equivalent in your country's price zone, and it's it's ridiculous. It's a horrible bait and switch that shouldn't be allowed to continue. You know, I didn't, I wasn't aware this was going to come out when I got given the review copy. Otherwise, I would have mentioned it in my review. Oh, by the way, the story's not finished, and it's unfair to rug pull mm. someone and go, oh, by the way, the, the story's not actually as done as you think it was. They've obviously been planning this because, I mean, Mortal Kombat's been out for a year now. And they might have thought this is six months down the line, but it's only now in this year time frame that the first that the games come out that they've gone, oh yeah, the story isn't done, so uh, thirty five quid, yeah. But it, the way they're building mm. up the trailer is not an optional thing. Like here is a continuation of the story. It's a uh, the story wasn't over, so it's going to bug people that think, fuck, I thought I finished that, and it's it's going to leave. It's going to for the, for those that have that itch that needs to be scratched, they're going to end up stumping up for it. And I'm not even, I don't think I'm going to buy it when it goes down to 20 odd quid because 20 odd, I mean, yeah, we've, we've talked about it before about supporting extra content when we get free games for review because that's like the sort of the, the polite thing. You're given a free game from a publisher. So, you know, spending an extra to support them is fine. But on principle of spending 35 quid or 25 quid, whatever it goes down to in sale for a game that would, in my mind, was finished just to play as Robocop, it's just, it is obscene, and I, I'm sure we've talked. I know, I know we've talked about it before on the podcast with Street Fighter Tekken, and I'm just, I'm just, you know, changing the words to insert the game. But it's just, it, it's never going to change, and unless people stop boycott, you know, unless, unless people stop paying into it. But then, uh, my my opinion is a drop in an ocean for, against, you know, it's against the tide of people that are still supporting these things, and that's how they keep doing it. Same with microtransactions, loot boxes, and yeah, they're starting to realise the ramifications of them now but it's still a a stupid practice 115 quid for a 2d beat well sorry a 3d beat em up you know like a, a 2d one-on-one fighter because that's the basic concept of the game is stupid yeah no that's uh that's completely fair i was going to ask you about why do you think it's very specifically fighting games that do this kind of thing i don't know um I think it's because it, it baits people with the the reintroduce, reintroduction of old characters as well. It, it, twig, it tweaks out nostalgia. Like, like I said, Tekken and Street Fighter do it as well. They bring back... Street Fighter Five's really terrible for it in their season passes because, like, Blanca and E-Honda, they are staple characters from second iteration onwards. And it's like, oh, remember these characters? Yep, they're not going to be in the base game. They're going to be two seasons later on or one or two seasons later on. And it's... I think it is to tweak the people that remember them fondly from years gone, but it's 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 so shitty. Yeah. I don't think there's, um, there's not many other genres of games that really lend itself to the practice in the same way. You could do it with like racing games and other things like like sort of esportsy things, but yeah. fighters really lend itself to that. You've got so many characters in the roster that you can keep picking out. Yeah, exactly. and Doing other things with they're very easy things to insert into a game. 
Well, it's, it's just like, one extra character. It's the same engine, the same everything. You don't, you don't even like, need um, that story content. No, I mean, like, Granblue does it as well. And Granblue's a bloody mobile game. And even then, their DLC is like, oh, remember this fighter from the uh, from the story on the mobile game you didn't play? And it's like, well, no, why should I fork out for it? Uh, why yeah, not? But you wouldn't you wouldn't find it in, like, um, you know, some other types of genres. Like, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to that same monetized model. They still no, do no, DLC. I mean, Obviously, everyone's doing DLC these days, but yeah, yeah. Um, it's just not quite that same monetized. Thing. You wouldn't buy, you wouldn't see like Red 13 as a DLC character. Otherwise, he's absent from the story in Final Fantasy 7, for example. Uh, I mean, Mass Effect 2 did it with Zaid, but he wasn't story crucial. But that was one of those things that EA had with their, um, oh, that, that thing when you buy a new game, you didn't get it on pre-owned. Batman Arkham City had it as well. It wasn't called, an East, it wasn't called a Battle Pass. Project $5. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember yeah, the name for it. That's it. Yeah. So it's it's those those two uh, examples of they weren't intrinsic to the story. Well, Catwoman was. You could play the story without her, but it kind of completed it. But that was more of a punishment for people buying pre-owned. But yeah, fighting games. I think they can get away with it because like they're not story intrinsic because stories in fighting games are kind of by the by. I mean, only recently have we had. Like Mortal Kombat has has turned itself around and become a fully story driven experience, but you know, mm. it it's not an inherent thing to have these characters as part of the story. Like Robocop's not story dependent, but it's shitty to make me want to pay thirty five quid for it just for, just to play as Robocop. It's bananas. And you think they would have learned this when they had the Street Fighter X Tekken fiasco when they found out all the game all the extra characters were on the, the disc. And you were essentially not buying them. You were paying to unlock them on the game you've already bought. And you think they would have learned from that, but nope. Here we are. Do you yeah. think they'll make? Do you think they'd make more money by splitting splitting it into you know buying say say six quid, seven quid or something per character, and spending the money on those three characters? So Fujin, Shiva, and um, and Robocop, and that puts you back sixteen odd quid, right? Rather than the amount of people who aren't going to fork out for it at thirty-five. Yeah, if if you if you, it's well, a business not, model thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if they put them individually, I'd probably buy Robocop. I'd buy that for a dollar. None of you got that. I just think they're um, more likely to get you out. Of, <laughs> I think they're more likely to get money out of you, you personally. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. They'd, if they'd put if they put the characters separately, you're not going to buy the main thing. Yeah, I mean, if it's, if out it's of principle if, almost. If it's thirty-five quid or six pound, and they lose twenty-eight in the process they're still gonna make six quid out of yeah yeah and it's yeah. i think it's i think it's obscene to hide three extra characters or a, a, a certain amount of extra characters behind a story that i may or may not play like i i'm far as i'm concerned i finished the mortal kombat 11 story you know it was a ball ache i finished it i'm done and to turn around and go yeah you haven't done it though it's just no it's, it's bullshit and like i said i'm i'm not going like i'm not boycotting it on monetary principle i'm boycotting it on the absurdity of of putting people through that it's just bananas and yeah. like, like if if i had spent 75 quid 79.99 or whatever on this deluxe edition i would be even more annoyed than i am now and you're pretty annoyed right now yeah i am i'm getting all heads up <laughs> no that, that's that's it i don't want to keep going over my like what i've said because i will end up just having a ranty mobius strip of a of a meltdown but it's 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 stupid it's a stupid practice that will unfortunately not go away until more people start uh, you know boycotting it yeah i don't think it's just related to the fact that it's older characters and i do see this a lot in other genres 
it's it's the comp the competitive edge that this gives you, you know, because basically what you are paying for is three characters that potentially other players will not be able to play against. They won't be able to learn. They won't be able to understand their move set. And it, it, you see this in competitive games. Look at Apex Legends, for example. You know, you, you can buy, um, you know, new heroes come out. You can buy them. They have uh, powers which are untested, and you you know if you if you invest in that player in in that character you can do moves that that other players either don't understand yet or have a weakness against and it's the same with with mortal kombat with these these characters you know as as cool as these characters are the reason why it happens in fighting games so much is because if you don't get it you are at a disadvantage and that's why competitive games like this they they feel like they can do it and i i I loved back in the day when we used to have Street Fighter, where you could you could have like, you know, uh, the the currency that you could earn as you fought, and then to buy characters, which I always thought was a really great idea. You know, that rewarded your long term players, but then they released three different versions of it. But this does feel like something that, for competitive gaming scenes, it's like a, hey, this new thing is coming out. People who buy it will they be able to use this thing? And we've tacked on a bit of story, but to be honest with you, most people will just play with it online. And if you don't buy it, you won't be able to try Robocop. You won't, you won't know his moveset. So what are you going to do? And I think that's that's rife in competitive games these days. It's on, on, you know, a lot of them have these things. So I'm not entirely sure what to do about that, and like, and tell people stop, stop giving into it. Tell people say that's enough. It'll happen one day. Something will go too far, and then it all come crumbling down. <laughs> one day, you never know. It's very strange that it does seem to be very stuck in that genre, though. And it'll be interesting to see how this moves on. Because bad or not, it seems to work for them because it continues to happen. Oh sure, it, it's a massive money spinner. Like I say, yeah. you can't not have it if you're still playing Mortal Kombat now, and somebody else gets the pass and gets three characters to fight with online that you don't know, you're going to get your ass whooped continually. Yep. So you've got to kind of buy it. So it's... All right. Uh, Paul, have you got any thoughts on this before we crack on? I must admit, I'm kind of like sort of out of the loop when it comes to all these kind of season passes and this kind of stuff. I mean, I don't think it's fair that you should pay for these characters. I mean, I know, it's so, it's so strange because like, I know, let's take Just Calls 4, which is available now on PlayStation Network. It's £8. And it features all the DLC and, and upgrades they've done for the game. So... Is there an argument to say, well, just not buy it first of all? Let's just wait a while and it will come down in price at some point. I mean, I don't know. It's just, I mean, you know, 100 and whatever pounds for Mortal Kombat is ridiculous. I remember I probably spent that on fucking 10 P's when it hit the arcade. So I'm going to have to do it again on the PlayStation, do you know what I mean? So, uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would like it when Mortal Kombat 2 came out in the arcades. I must have spent hundreds in that game. So, yeah. is it any different? Do you know what I mean? You know, back in the day, we used to put like pan coins into a machine, you would solid it up, it gives you five minutes entertainment, and you put another pan coin in. I mean, is it any different? Is it a modern day version of that? I don't know, but it's just, um, it's getting a bit out of control now because I don't know what I'm buying. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not, I'm not sort of into the gaming loop as I used to be, some like lost out on a bit of knowledge. Um, so, if I want to go out and buy more combat, Am I getting Mortal Kombat or am I getting like a, a skeleton Mortal Kombat or the same Street Fighter, same with any other game? Do you know what I mean? I'm just, mm. 
I'd, I'd rather like say here, fifty quid, and there's a game. That's it. You get the game, all the game, and then you know if you want to buy a new costume, which is which doesn't add anything to the, uh, your powers, for example, then so be it. If you want to look pretty, then spend some money. But you know, but the, the main game is fifty quid. There you go, done. Um, and that and that to me is where I kind of lost track with gaming or lost um, a, a bit of love for gaming because. It's no longer just here's your game now play it. It's not, and it's just getting a bit. It's it's just too much now, and I'm just it's, uh, you know in-app purchases and all this kind of stuff. I think it's ruining gaming. I hate it. So I don't think it's good. Fair enough. It is. We could talk about something you do know about, and that is the DCEU. The That's DCEU. The, uh, the DC Extended Universe. I don't know a lot about it, but carry on. Well, you're aware that the Snyder Cut is a thing. I have heard of the Snyder Cut. Yes. You're aware that the Snyder Cut is now actually happening. Is it really? Oh, man, please keep up with things. I say, I'm sorry, Joe, I spent the last like, week trying to wallpaper with one solitary wall. It's just done me up. So uh, I'm a bit out of this? Tell me more. Well, this week, Zack Snyder, in his infinite wisdom, has confirmed the Snyder Cut of Justice League is real and is coming to HBO Max in 2021. Goodness gracious. Wow. What does that actually mean? Because that that film was just awful anyway, so I don't think any kind of cut's going to save it. <laughs> well, this is the thing. No one really knows. Obviously, the original uh, Justice League was being made by Zack Snyder. He had a horrible tragedy in his personal life, which meant that Joss Whedon, who we know, of course, made the Avengers and Buffy, came on and finished the film for him. And it didn't particularly go very well. And so fans, fans since then have rallied and gone, there must be a Zack Snyder version of this film. And there kind of is, but there kind of isn't as well. So what's happening is HBO are giving him like $30 million to reshoot certain scenes, to create certain scenes and finish this thing. No one knows if it's going to be a movie, if it's going to be a six-part series, because it was meant to be like a four-hour cut. Nobody really knows, but what we know right now is that it's happening. Now, as someone who liked Man of Steel... <laughs> And Batman v Superman, shockingly. How do you feel about this? <laughs> okay, so um, I actually, funny enough, I recently just watched uh, the other day Batman vs Superman, and it's not great. But Man still, I enjoyed. Um, so uh, Justice League uh, was absolute dog shit. And if he's going to have to uh, like film additional scenes and whatnot, clearly he's not going to get all the actors together to make Superman actually do something. Yeah, but do you know what? Is it going to be CG, though? If it's going to be CG, it's going to be that awful weird man-looking thing at the start of the film, which is just, what the fuck is that? I thought that Superman at the start of the film was a member of the public dressed up as Superman to rally support for the dude. I didn't know it was actually meant to be Henry Cavill with a upper lip CG'd off or something. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so if he's going to get the old CG uh, computer out and start CGing Henry Cavill again, I'd rather he didn't because it kind of freaked me out. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, uh, DC uh, are in a right old mess right now. They've got absolutely no continuity in any of their kind of their films. They've got like, so they started doing obviously the universe with um, Superman and Batman versus Superman, which should have been a Batman only film. Uh, then Wonder Woman, which was great, but not really anything to do with it. Um, and it's a kind of, they don't really know where they're going and got a direction. They just throw out films as fast as they can, trying to catch up with Marvel. It's never going to happen. So, and then, you know, and it's funny enough that the, the best film. Uh, was Joker, which is nothing to do with the extended universe. And, you know, there's a new Batman, and uh, it, I don't know. Um, if they can if they can do something to marry everything together so it links, then 
then that, 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 that needs to happen. But if it can't, then ugh, I can't see what they're going to do to make it any better, to be fair. They need to start from scratch. They need to use the Snyder Cut to start a, a new extended universe, start from this point, this is where it happens, and there's a new like, Batman or something. And I don't know. Absolute mess. And I'm gutted because uh, Batman and Superman are two super awesome superheroes. Yeah. And I'm sort of gutted that the films didn't really quite live up to it. They could start again a little bit like you've just said, because that new Suicide Squad from the guy who did Guardians of the Galaxy mm. is meant to be a completely redone version of that. The only thing that carries on through is Harley. So possibly, be, like you said. Um, I, I also been locked down. I watched a lot of films. So I've also watched Birds of Prey, which is an absolutely pointless film as well. There's nothing happened in it. Didn't really set any scenes. Didn't really link to anything. You know, there's no. It's just like where are they going? They, they need some direction. Because well, that's the thing. I mean, there isn't a DCU universe anymore, right? That's the whole point of Birds of Prey and this new Suicide Squad. It's like, right, draw a line under Justice League and just crack on with these solo films. And eventually, maybe they can all coalesce at some point in the future. But for right now, what they're doing is essentially just moving on from whatever it was that they were doing. That Zack Snyder's Justice League may tie into future Wonder Woman's and... Birds of Prey, some, I imagine there'll be more Harley Quinn coming at some point, because Birds of Prey was huge. So, you know, I think DCEU, as we know it, is gone, and there will be some kind of like soft reboot going on. Steve, I saw you tweeting about this the other day. How do you feel about it? Yeah, sorry, I almost jumped into your intro as well. I rude. Apologies. That's fine. Uh, well, I was just going to say, first of all, egg in my face, because I was one of the people who was like, it doesn't exist, you fools, you morons, it's not a real thing. I didn't anticipate the uh, 20 to $30 million injection to make it happen. So, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been wrong once, you know. But, uh, yeah, my, my tweet basically asked the question, which is, like, Batman vs Superman is supposedly uh, Snyder's uncorrupted vision, and that's not a not a good movie. So... What, what confuses me is this, the people who think that BVS is good are the same people who think the Snyder Cut will be good. And I guess my question is, does, is there, are those people's barometer of what is good trustworthy? <laughs> you know, like uh, Fatman Superman had some good <laughs> scenes. Uh, I did enjoy the warehouse fight a lot. That kind of stands out for me as a really well choreographed and directed Batman scene. Um, but I went to see BVS uh, having... Misgivings about Man of Steel, I did quite like it to an extent, but it was certainly a slippery slope uh, towards the end, um, thematically. Uh, but when I went to see Batman vs Superman, I actually had a little bit of hype in my chest. I was excited about it. I went to the midnight showing and uh, deflated like a balloon while watching it. It was just really disappointing uh, to, to see. I mean, I thought the build-up was really good, the first half of the film. Just the second half just didn't seem to pay off in any of that stuff. Uh, like, I thought, for example... Bruce Wayne uh, was built up to have a pretty good reason to, to want Superman dead or out or whatever. Uh, maybe a little bit single-minded, but the whole build-up about his his you know building being destroyed and everything that was really good stuff. And then for him to just flip on a dime, you know, uh, toward the second half of the movie, and for Snyder to basically skip to what he wanted basically was to skip to the animated series about on Superman friendship, right? And it went from zero to sixty in the in the end of the movie. They're equipping. To each other and stuff and it was just really disappointing because all of batman's concerns from the start of the film are still technically valid you know like perhaps he was going about his way with the kryptonite spear and everything maybe that was a bit aggressive but overall uh his his uh, motivations just dissipated for no reason and that was that was very confusing and then the, the following battle with um with uh 
I've forgotten his name now. Well, Doomsday. But Doomsday uh, was mm-hmm. just flashing lights and noise. That was a really, like, compared to, <laughs> to like, the, the tight action scene with Batman in the warehouse, uh, that battle was just uh, nonsense. Most of it was shot from a helicopter camera. So, so I mean, that's, that's what Snyder wanted to have happen, right? So the Snyder cut, how much better can it be, really? I mean, in terms of, like, consistency or, or theme or whatever, there might be more of it. You know, maybe there'll be more of it. And admittedly, the Joss Whedon um, Quipathon atmosphere didn't stand up very well in Justice League. That was a problem with it. But uh, I'm not sure that uh, this is going to be much better than, than BVS or the second half of Man of Steel was. They both kind of... And I'm not I'm not on the, like, the, the Zack Snyder sucks train at all. Like, I loved uh, what his Watchmen movie. And uh, I actually like 300 as well when it came out. So mm-hmm. I know that he can adapt material. I just think he indulges a lot. He's got a lot of history behind it. He's got a lot of love for the IPs he's, he's making, but he doesn't have the patience to uh, to get it where it's meant to be for it to earn it, I think, anyway. And his action scenes, uh, they kind of, they, they're very over the top now. They've, they've pissed up the point where you can't really follow them anymore. Like the Batman scene stands out as a scene with really good action choreography. And it's the only one in that movie, really. All the car chases, all the big fights of Doomsday. Just League is the same, the fight with Steppenwolf and stuff. It's all just, you can't follow it. You know, it doesn't really have any real, like, action beats to it. So uh, It's all too fast, isn't it? You can't really... Yeah. I, mean, I have this conversation with a friend of mine quite a lot. He said, you know, you know Superman, Man of Steel, for was good. But when the fighting started, you couldn't really follow what was happening. And... You know, and when you watch these films, especially someone like Superman, who's like, you know, so powerful, you want to like see him not just look at what I can destroy, but you know, there's one, there's one, there's two scenes in um, in Man of Steel which really symbolized Superman and his powers, and it wasn't clearly like not to build him down. There's one where like they was in the building and Zod done his eye rays and cut the floor out for the way, and Batman just all, uh, Superman sort of just floated, just gently just floated, and, just, and that was pretty cool because it, it was such a subtle nod to the powers he has. Um, and then the other one was when he's over the shoulder and punching Zod. I mean, that's just like you know these little things, little subtle things that are really you know show the power of these heroes, but not just. Bam, bam. Oh, look, another building's falling down. Yeah. It's just oh, too much. Oh, Paul, it's all right, mate. He'll be fine. No, it's not all right, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sean, yeah, you're, the, you're the, uh, the one who wanted to bring this uh, to the pod this week. So what are your overall thoughts on Zack Snyder's Justice League coming to HBO Max in 2021? I'm just glad that we won't ever have to hear about it ever again. <laughs> and I am incredibly excited about when it actually comes out and it's still total garbage. All of the the things that people hype beyond belief to convince us all that it's really actually very good. I can't wait for the internet to be just a steaming pile of shit. Uh, on it's really really good now. Is it though? <laughs> Is it though? <laughs> Go on, Shonky guy, I love it. <laughs> and, and, and I just, the thing is that for me, this has opened up a really fucking stupid gate. That. Everyone's already started with the what can we get now? Can we change? There's there's a new petition about changing the Last Jedi, which is, is insanity because Rise of Skywalker was total garbage. Exactly, this is it, right? The, the fucking the, the wrong thing again. <laughs> <laughs> These fucking people. But... The, end, the end of Game of Thrones. No, well, don't. Can we? Let's. No, this can be a rabbit hole of things we all think is shit, isn't it? <laughs> this is it. Right? Might be a, a book to replace that ending, so I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
this this is the problem by saying oh yeah this thing existed when it hasn't because they're gonna have to spend millions of dollars creating it this thing never happened this never thing existed but people have asked for it enough times that they're now going to create it and cynically launch it as part of their big fucking app streaming service so now everybody's going to want it i want the end of dexter changed I want twenty million dollars <laughs> to change the end of Dexter. I, right? I do want the end of Dexter changed. So, exactly yeah. right, but that, that was really bad, right? Oh, and it's good. Now, season. Some some art is bad. Yeah, not all art has to please everybody. If you don't like something, just stop complaining about it and move on. Don't beg people for like years and then end up getting your way because this is all we're going to get now is people begging for more shit. <laughs> and it's going to be more shit forever. We're going to get seven different cuts of this fucking movie. And, and it's going to be... None of them are going to be good. I didn't like how Citizen Kane ended. I think he should have gone to space. Can we start a petition to get that? Um... <laughs> Release the king but, cuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no point during the Snyder cut does uh, Zack Snyder face any kind of creative differences or limitations. You know, they'll want the Snyder cut cut. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly you're like you're like no it, it's bad this time around and like they, what they're gonna go is well we only had 20 million dollars to make it so what we're gonna redo is get all the actors back and completely reshoot it and then we're gonna have you know a different director it's, it's just just it's, it's endless and we need to stop it now let the snyder cut be terrible and everybody realize that they asked for the wrong thing and we should like, have had um... dexter like like a wishmaster thing, you know, where he grants you wish, but it's got a horrible twist to it. Yeah, the monkey paw, just like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the final finger on the monkey paw. Let this be it. Come on. I can't think of any major endings that I want changed. Like Buffy, De- the last season one. of Buffy changed the whole thing. Uh, Scrubs, maybe. What, like oh. season nine never exists? Yeah, just the season eight ended so beautifully. Yeah, it's like you know, I don't hate you know season that, nine, but you know what that was though? They did they did that because they wanted to keep. The uh, the crew employed for an extra year. It was like everybody, like all of the the staff that, that did the actors and stuff. They want to keep the season going just to keep the you know, the family funded, so to speak. So it was it was a, it was actually a a philanthropic endeavor. Season nine of Scrubs. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not awful. It's just I really loved the ending of season eight, and so you know I I'm one of those people that's like I don't hate season nine. I think um, Kerry Beach, who was kind of the lead in season nine. Yeah, she went on to do Red State. She was great in Red State, and she was in Telling Lies, which is a, a game that's just come out on consoles. So you know, th- there is there is pedigree in there. It was just a, it was just a weird tonal shift, and I couldn't quite get on board with it. The thing is, no, no, people... I, I totally agree. But it did it did kind of like um, take some of the venom out to know there was behind the scenes. It did some good, you know, yeah, for sure. Artists and camera crew and stuff kept employed for an extra year. So yeah, I mean, if that's going to happen, that I can I can make do with a, a seasonal change, you know. Yeah. The problem is, like Sean said, now people get demand for stuff. The, the simple adage is, if you don't like it, just don't watch it. Like I haven't seen any of the DC films. I don't really care for them. But I'm not going to go out my way to to give a shit about other films in the past that go, well, if they're doing that, then they can retroactively change this for me. You know, I just, I don't care. The, mm. the, the problem with that is that all of these, like Disney wants people to invest, to, to, to like invent their entire personality around their franchises. You know, they they build these things and and make it so that you get so invested that when you don't enjoy it, it feels like your personality is falling to pieces, and it, it's like a vicious circle now that people. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like you know people get so obsessed with these things because it's constant now. It's not like you know, way back when where you know a film will come out and be like, eh, okay then, and then five years later maybe a sequel will come out. 
Now it's like four films a year. And if you yeah. don't see it, you don't it's, understand the story. Well, it's, it's all it's fucking films, blown apart. It's that films are written now with sequels in mind and they're banking on that. Like, prime example, I've, I've said it before on here, is Matrix and Back to the Future. You know, they weren't written as trilogies. They were written as standalone films. And because they made bank, the studios threw money at the writers and they went, oh, fuck, how do we, how do we carry these on? <laughs> That's why, like, Elizabeth Shue replaced the person who played Jennifer in the first Back to the Future, who was obviously so rememberable. I've forgotten her name. But, yeah, <laughs> they don't plan these things in mind. But now films are written with, like, oh, hope we get a sequel bait. Let's put a, do a teaser on the end. And then it doesn't work. Looking forward it, to Matrix 4, then. Uh, well, if we're going go, to talk about things we want bringing back, why haven't Disney put Song of the South on? You know, I mean, if they're going to be <laughs> one rule for one, why not the other? What's wrong with Song of the South now by today's sensibilities? Oh, wait, yeah. So why are we getting other stuff back if we can't you know if it's one rule and bring everything back or just stop pandering to people being demanding of things that were shit in the first place i've only seen bits of justice league and i went god this is wank what is 20 minutes of extra footage that zack snyder's probably filmed well it's actually probably five minutes of footage that he's just put into slow-mo and doubled the length of it what's that going to improve of a film that looks shit in the first place uh i think the real trouble is it's zack snyder I, I I liked Watchmen and 300, right? But we, everything he made kind of from that point on, the three that we've been mentioning, the real DC ones, yeah, just no. There's but just and, there's and just Sucker nothing not really that Sucker Punch was really bad. I remember we watched it when I was with HIV. <laughs> we watched it on the lunch break and I walked in and uh, about the intro, I went, oh, Sucker Punch. And about 10 minutes later, I went, I'm going to go out and buy my lunch now. This is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think if this will be an overindulgent mess of, that's bigger than the overindulgent mess it already was. I hope it's a pride before the fall kind of thing. I really hope that it doesn't do well and that'll teach people and they'll go, see, this is what you get when you're fucking moaning about something. You brought this on yourselves, now stop doing it to us. And people will go, oh, yeah, all right. But then we know what fan bases are like. Within within an hour of this being announced, there was released the air cut of Suicide Squad Ugh. trending on Twitter. Suicide Squad is a lost cause. It cannot be saved. It's like saying release the David Fincher original cut of Alien 3 when it was supposed to be set in some wooden temple thing on Earth. Like, how far back do we go? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, fans be fans, and it? There's, there's, a weird, um, there's a weird thing with, with um, fans and audiences generally. They always think that the original idea, the concept, the pure starting point is yeah. better than what we got. There's always some corruption that happens in the execution. They always think that, oh, well, the unreleased stuff must be the good some, stuff. Yeah, yeah, because it's been... Like tweaked, the studio head got, was... got to it instead of the artist. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, there's, there's studio a... heads get like a bad rep for coming and interfering with things, but sometimes you've got to wonder if maybe they're not all big fat cats trying to pursue the money. They're actually coming in going, what have you been taking? No, there's, there's, put this in it. The example I always go back to, which is uh, Resident Evil 2. The point, oh. you know, Resident Evil 1.5, the version they made that they showed at E3, and then internally they went, oh, this is not working at all, we have to and completely it. Yeah. yeah, and people at the time, and a little to the extent now, were like, what was that game we didn't get? The game we didn't get must be, you know, the suppressed version must be the good stuff. And it's been released since, hasn't it? And it's not actually very good. Even even Hideki Kamiya himself said, there's a reason he didn't put it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that shit, I don't want people to see that. There's a yeah. reason. I mean, I've, I've played the 1.5 sort of bootleg that, well, that's become sort of more readily available now. And it's like, huh, this isn't, uh, bleh, no, I can see why they scrapped <laughs> it. It's another rabbit hole of cancelled games that people want. Yeah. yeah. What about Star Wars 1313? I want well, that one back. Yeah. Uh, but, well, we could be here for hours to figure out. <laughs> yeah. 
scale bound. People say what what mm. a, what a time scale it is to bound, be alive. Yeah. I know. If you can't, if you don't want to invest in a movie, just put it on a streaming service. That seems to be the exactly. way at the moment. And you know, I'm sure it'll be massive. HBO Max. HBO Max is going to be huge. I don't know if are we getting HBO Max here. Is it coming to Europe at all? Because there's no, oh. there's been no announcement yet. Probably, probably five years time it. at double the price. Probably be able to get it through like Amazon channels or something. There'll be some deal yeah. with something in the UK. Hmm. Cool. Right then, let's move on to the quiz answers. Oh, Sean Davies. Let's do this. We're getting okay. there, guys. You can go to bed in a minute, I promise. <laughs> I go tomorrow <laughs> off. I don't really care. <laughs> I just worried I'll keep waking up Paul every five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, question one When Sonic's eyes are colored, what color are Sonic's eyes? Steve, tell me what you got for this because it's obviously correct. Well, it so happens that I was a, a big fan of Sonic the comic back in the day. STC, the British Sonic comic. Yes. <laughs> and his eyes oh, were yeah. always coloured in that, and they were always coloured green. That is correct. Yes. yes. Uh, okay. Toby, question. did you get that one? Did you get that one, Toby? I'm, I'm withholding my, my <laughs> number till the end. <laughs> okay. Question two of the pair, Luke Ukulele. What animal is Lely, Greg? Uh, it's a bat, isn't it? That is correct. Oh, okay. okay, question three. Ratchet from Ratchet and Clank is what kind of alien species? Toby, tell us the right answer, please. A lumbax. Lumbax is correct. Yes. We know he yes. has one correct answer. Really? <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's already 100% improved. On last week. Yeah, this is 100% improval. Improval? <laughs> okay, that's a new Impr- word. Improval. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an approval. Improval. You're an author. <laughs> Hey, that, we're, we're the ones that invent the new words. <laughs> Improve, I'm, I'm improvising grammatically on my... Uh... <laughs> okay, uh, question four in Super Mario 64. How many yellow coins is a blue coin worth? Roscoe? Five. It's ten. No, it's not. What? No, it's, it's not. five. What do you mean? Five's a re- nonsense. Five's oh, a red coin. I'm going to Google it now. Mario 64 blue coins. Uh, oh, blue coins are worth five yellow coins. You're kidding. No, I'm not. I'm, that's the first thing it's I'm five not. coins, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my sorry, God. Sean. That was that, that, that googling that. happening now. Yeah, sorry. There is. Sean, there is. <laughs> this is a world first. It's not a world first. I've got things wrong with the past. <laughs> blue coins, Mario sixty-four. In these games, blue coins are worth five. Blue. God damn it! It's yes! worth five. <laughs> Everyone's a winner. Bonus <laughs> points, I think. Yeah. Okay, question five. Which 3D platforming lead character is a guest character in both Hot Shots Golf 2 and Mad Dash Racing? Greg, as soon as though you think you know this. I want to say Pac-Man. Pac-Man is incorrect. Ah, oh, bollocks. But it is called Everybody's Golf over here. I'm not, I'm not taking I that one. Pac-Man down. Golf. Say again? How would he hold the club? He's, he's got arms. <laughs> in his mouth. Okay. Uh, Paul, what have you got for this? Is it Blaze Fielding? It's not Blaze Fielding. This <laughs> <laughs> well, is this is a 3D platformer quiz, and why did you put Blaze Fielding? Because I didn't have any other answer. <laughs> okay. It's the only game Paul's played this year. That's true. Right. Okay. Yeah, the yeah. answer, the answer is Gex. Ah. Oh. Okay. Oh, uh, of course, close. yeah. Right, move on. <laughs> uh, question six: Murray, the muscle in Sly Cooper's Gang of Thieves, is what kind of animal? Toby. I'm going with hippo. Hippo is correct. Oh, I also went with hippo. Two out of ten. Look at him go. I will, I will also accept hippopotamus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> question seven. Uh, a level in Crash Bandicoot is named after a famous band. Which band is it? Roscoe? No idea. Steve? 
Alas, I don't know. I love the Crash Bandicoot level names, but I don't know okay. his name. Okay. Some other levels, if that would help. Right, are you ready? The band is the Rolling Stones. Yeah, of course it is. Uh... Okay, uh, question eight. Klonoa Door to Phantom Isle was remastered and released as an exclusive for which console in 2008 in Japan and 2009 in Europe? Paul, what have you got for this? PlayStation 2. Is incorrect. Obviously. Uh, the the answer is the Wii. Sorry. Uh, question nine. In NAC 2, what colour is the second NAC in the game if it's played in two-player co-op? Uh, Steve, what have you got for that? You go the colorblind guy for the colour question. Asked, yeah, you yes, keep asking colour questions for Steve. <laughs> uh, I believe it's blue. Blue is correct. Is it blue or is it actually purple? Because Steve couldn't see either. <laughs> Too sharp. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I do pay attention, though. <laughs> Uh, and question 10 which studio originally developed the game Psychonauts um, Roscoe I mean I want to say Double Fine Double Fine is correct oh phew oh. I thought it was Double Fine I thought he had something before Psychonauts uh, before... yeah, no, I thought you were going to trick question me I was, thinking, no, no. I was worried about that as well I was like, is it Double Fine is that what they were founded for or is it something prior to when he left and became Double Fine I thought it was Majesco, but never mind. Right, uh, if you tot up your scores Majesco was the original publisher not developer that's true Oh. <laughs> Paul, how many did you get right? Oh, I only got seven. I only got seven out of ten. He only got seven. Um, Roscoe? Seven. Ooh, Greg? Half a dozen for me. Ooh, Toby? Four. Steve? I'm also in the seven club. Oh my god, no. Ooh. I still lost then, which is great. It's respectful. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> yeah, but you improved but by 400%. My improval was good. Yeah. <laughs> Your improval was fantastic. You can, you can get off the podcast and go, Meg, Meg, I'm 400% better this week. And she won't know Yay. what you're on about at all. Can I sleep upstairs again? <laughs> <laughs> Not until right. you win, boy. Not until you win. It's going to be a long time. Sorry, I don't know your <laughs> so Wi-Fi. It's quite impressive that Ross knows how, what Meg sounds like. <laughs> okay. Meg's. Let's do this. To the nearest 10,000 as a tiebreaker. How many copies did Banjo Kazooie sell on the N64? To the nearest 10,000. And let's start with Paul. Jesus. I oh, know. <laughs> 3 million. Okay. 3.3 million. Stop it. Let's go crazy. No, take his first answer. I'm going to have to take your first answer. Oh, uh, what what did you say? Did you just say 3.3? Yeah. Uh, it's, okay, I'm going to take three. Roscoe? 3.4. Okay. Steve? I'll, I'll take the 3.3 in, in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow, really really broad, uh, broad winning criteria here. <laughs> okay. Banjo-Kazooie sold 3.65 <gasps> million. Yes! Ross oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. out Paul Paul. You uh, what? Pulled, pulled. I wrote down three point five in the in the background. Oh, what do you mean? So... Pulled, pulled. Because you, I know you came first. Like you put the answer first this time, but every time someone gives an answer, you always go one lower or one higher. <laughs> so Ross used your tactic and went one point higher, like literally point four, like point one higher than you. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a legit tactic. There's nothing wrong with it. Yep, no, right, no, I'm, I wasn't. I wasn't criticizing. You. I was saying he's actually he's he's outdone you in your own tactic. <laughs> well, I'm gonna copy oh. away from that one. Hey, that's two in a row. Very happy. Nah, very happy. Well that was very close, Steve. You almost beat. You would have been the first guest to win one of these quizzes. Yeah, should have gone big. 
I was thinking yeah. small. I'm very impressed. Very impressed. And you said this was tough sometimes. And I'm very impressed you got seven out of ten. Well done. We've had guests get get one out of ten before, and not, oh, not that's my... right. That was um. Oh, who was it? Oh, what's his face? Um, Mike. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he's a good chap. Good sport. Well, the ones <laughs> I, I didn't get, like I t- totally didn't get them. Like I haven't even heard of the game. Fair enough. Uh, but we we tried to we tried to cover all the bases, and um, I, I next time we're gonna we, I should have done a TT Lego game quiz, really, shouldn't I? <laughs> You'd have walked the floor with us. Oh, thank you, Sean. Uh, pleasure. It's always right. nice when you win because you're always chipper at the end of the podcast. Yeah, weird that, isn't it? Yeah. Hey! <laughs> right, that does bring an end to this week's Thinking Guns podcast. I want to say a big thank you to our guest, Mr. Steve Thornton. <laughs> thank you very much, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, join us again next week for more video game shenanigans. And do follow us on Twitter at FNGRGNS. Over on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fingergunsuk. Over on twitch.tv forward slash fingergunsnet And hey, if you really, really like us that much, why don't you give us 83 pence a month over on our patreon.com forward slash fingerguns. That keeps the podcast live on all of its hosting services along with the website. So thank you very much indeed if you are already a patron. And if you do want to join, do follow that link. All of our individual accounts are in the description below. If you want to follow us on Twitter, if you want to follow Steve on Twitter, it's underscore Steve Thornton at underscore Steve Thornton. You'll find him by New Year's Steve, which he's still got in the middle of May. Yeah. Well, I mean, this has been a long year, so. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. So I guess that's it. Thank you all very much indeed for listening. Until next time, it is goodbye from Greg Hicks. Sayonara. Goodbye from Mr. Paul Collett. See you. It's goodbye from Mr. Toby Anderson. Alfie the same. Goodbye from Mr. Sean Davies. Toodles. And a goodbye from our guest, Mr. Steve Thornton. Guess I'll, I'll go for uh, Dos the Dania. Hey. There you go. And goodbye from me. My name's Roscoe. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Finger Guns Podcast. <laughs>